Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, obviously, I'm not Ian Smith. Uh, Smithy is on the road with the uh, Cricket World Cup, of course, and so you've got me through till Thursday. Uh, and coming up on the show, actually, we're going to be talking a lot of cricket because uh, Pete Boren, who's a Kiwi, who captained the Dutch, he's here, part of the coaching setup with the Dutch team as well. Uh, he's going to join us after 10 o'clock, so we'll uh, talk uh, cricket. Of course, the Dutch about to get a... Three-match ODI series underway with the Black Caps. Also, of course, Ross Taylor's final series as well before he retires from international cricket. So we've got that coming up for you. Uh, we are also going to catch up with Drew Hill, who's a Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian. Uh, talk about Stephen Adams' impact on the Grizzlies this season. He's broken the single-season record for offensive rebounds. He now holds that record with two teams. And the Grizzlies have come from really nowhere, I think, Pre-season, I think, we'll ask Drew this, but I think pre-season, you know, if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, you would have been saying, if we can finish somewhere in that 6-8 to eight spot, that would be a really good season for us. Well, they're looking on course to finish second in the West, so uh, I think that's even better. And so we'll talk uh, to Drew Hill about the Grizzlies and uh, what to expect from them come the playoffs. It's not too, I think there's about five or uh, six regular season games left to go. We also have the Dilmar Expertise panel coming up with Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis from round 10-20. And uh, one of the questions we're going to be asking there is about our Mount Rushmore, because our Mount Rushmore today is our Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters, real or fictional. Uh, So our favourite fighters, real or fictional, it could be MMA, it could be boxing, it could be uh, karate, you know, it might be Ralph Macchio, I don't know if you're a karate kid fan, maybe, Uh, but we're keen to get your, your your. Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters. Uh, so we'll we'll do that. Brad Lewis is a big UFC guy, so I'll be interested to get his take on that. And then actually another man who will have uh, a take on that is uh, Dean Lonigan, Big Dino, uh, is coming on just after 11 because there's big news that we can't mention till 11, but involves a couple of Kiwi boxers and high-profile bouts over in Australia coming up. And uh, Dean Lonigan is promoting those. He's going to join us after 11. And I, Dino, will have um, some thoughts on his favourite fighters. He'll probably be one of them. 
Uh, I think it's one of the most memorable walkouts I can remember to any fight ever was uh, Dean Lonergan coming out during uh, the fight for life when he fought uh, and coming out to uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show theme with a bunch of the ladies from Kaluzi, um all in full drag. So that would uh, that, that's probably going to be up there. We'll have to bring that up definitely uh, with Dean Lonergan when he comes on after 11 o'clock today. Of course, uh, your texts are welcome uh, on our uh, temper bedpost text machine, double eight double three as well. Keen to get your thoughts. Uh, Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters. Who's it going to be for you? Let us know, double eight double three, double eight double three. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and you can call us throughout the show too on 0800 150811. Uh, now, of course, we do have a Cricket World Cup going. Uh, there are no white ferns left at the Cricket World Cup, unfortunately. We are at semi-final stages. Uh, looking forward to Thursday, South Africa versus England, and tomorrow, of course, uh, the Aussies, who have gone through unbeaten take on the West Indies and uh, joining us now is the coach of uh, the Australian women's cricket team, Matthew Mott. Uh, g'day Matthew, how you doing? G'day Ricardo, how are you mate? Yeah, good mate, good. How's Wellingtown treating you? Yeah, a lot better mate, thank you. Today looks very nice out there, we've got a, a session on today and um, yeah, the wind has dropped nicely, it looks quite serene out there on the harbour at the moment, so uh, looking forward to a great day. Oh mate, you, you know what they say, you can't beat Wellington on a good day. <laughs> Yeah, well, today's a good day, so that, that's good. And you know, hopefully for the game, it's, it's, it's nice like this as well. I think it's, uh, it's set up well. It's been a, an amazing tournament. Um, certainly as a, as a coach, it's been, it's been a great one to watch. But as a, as a fan, I don't think you can ask for much more. No, I think you're right. You know, and, and to be fair, coming into this tournament, I looked at it and I went, well, Australia are obviously going to be a semi-finalist, probably England. Uh, and the way that the White Ferns were tracking, I thought they'd be there or thereabouts, and then it was going to be maybe one of India or, or South Africa. Uh, but certainly did not see the the Windies popping their heads up like they have done, or South Africa going as well as they have done it. And even the Bangladeshis and the Pakistanis, who who haven't maybe had the greatest of tournaments, they've, they've certainly not been easy beats. They've caused everybody a problem or two, haven't they? It feels like the, the women's game overall has gone up another level. Yeah, it has, and I think that's probably the most pleasing thing from a, a worldwide perspective is that those teams have come in and, as you said, competed really well. They you know, certainly had us in trouble the other day, uh, Bangladesh, and we had to fight our way out of it. And I think that's great for the competition. There's no that there's no easy games, and um, yeah, I'm disappointed for the for the Kiwi girls. I think um, yeah, we we've got a pretty close bond with them. We've played them a lot over the years, and um, yeah, it's disappointing. I think um, coming into the tournament, obviously they. A lot of expectation. We knew about that from our own experience. And, uh, yeah, it's disappointing for them that they, they couldn't get there. But the West Indies, um, they're, they're a dangerous team. I think um, they won some close games at the start of the tournament. Um, and we, we certainly got a, a big game in front of us. They're dynamic. They, they're great. They're a great fielding unit. They put pressure on you in the field. And uh, they got match winners with bat and ball. So it's, it's going to be an, an epic semi-final. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I mean, how important is it for you to knock off uh, Dotton and Matthews early? Because the bulk of their runs have come from there, haven't they, right at the top? Yeah, they're definitely, um, you know, they come out hard in the power play. And we knew that when we played them here. So, you know, our mantra is to try and take early wickets. So that fits in well with us. But um, they're sort of almost as a bowling unit, got to brace ourselves. But if they do get off to a, to a fly, we just need to, Keep our composure and um, try some alternate plans. We've, you know, we've got some different plans that we can sort of uh, limit their, their scoring ability. So that, that's going to be key is, is how we um, how we deal if there's a, there is an onslaught at the top. And yeah, you know, they did that well all the way through. They, you know, the captain's a great batter. Hayley Matthews is obviously someone who can anchor the whole innings. But 
you know, Dotton, um, she, she just comes out hard, and if she's on, she's on. You, you better, you better be ready. Yeah, and I guess I mean from your point of view, you've had a, a few opportunities to chase reasonably big totals, haven't you? I mean, you chased, uh, I think, well against South Africa, and you chased well against India as well. Yeah, I think that's it's probably been a thing in the, in the female game that I've noticed over my time in it is that teams are, are happy to chase. I think it takes out one variable where you, you know you, the actual score you're after. So. We don't tend to bother too much about that. I think the you know the conditions definitely play a part on what you should do. Whether you're on a fresh wicket or a used wicket, you, you take all those things in the calculations. But a lot of teams do like to chase just because you know they, they know the run rate required. They can stick around that and then and then put the foot down when they need it. But uh, yeah, whatever we do first, um, you know, tomorrow we'll have to have to do it really well. And um, we do know these conditions. We've spent a, a lot of time here now and. Uh, we're braced for everything. If, if it's heavy winds, we've got we've got bowlers who can can bowl into it. And if it's a nice day like today, it'll be it'll be great for everyone. Uh, of course, the million dollar question is Elise Perry, mate. How's how's she recovering from those back spasms? Yeah, slowly. Unfortunately, um, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, our, our medical team are working around the clock to try and get her right. But um, you know, as days go past, we, we need to see more and more improvement. She, you know, she's a she's a great player for us, but. She'll need to. It's one of those things you can't. With a back injury, you you can't sort of go in and, and not be close to 100. percent So we'll be really smart around that. Her her communication on how she's feeling is is paramount to all the, the decision making. So um, it's a big it's a big day ahead, I guess. We'll see how she wakes up this morning. She'll no doubt do a full session um, and, and see what she can do at training today. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what you do, you got a you know a World Cup semi final um, coming up. Uh, so with Elise, if she doesn't play, given that she you know bats four, opens the bowling, is that a juggling act for you? Because it feels like you you maybe need to change a couple of things just to cover her. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt when you when you try and replace a world class all rounder who who could hold that spot as a batter or a bowler in your team, it's going to leave a void somewhere. So. Uh, that's just about that balance. We'll, we'll either feel half a bowler short or half a batter short because she's such a dominant performer. You know, she she averages fifty with a bat in one day cricket, and that is hard to replace. Um, but what we do have is a lot of depth. We have a lot of all rounders, um, and we just have to mix and match and and, and try and fill the void as best we can. We we, we won't totally uh, fulfil it because she's an experienced player in our group as well. Um, but we do feel like we'll, we'll go close to being able to you know plug plug the gaps that that will be there that. Um, yeah, we have done over time as well. We've, we've been able to win games when Elise hasn't played, um, but we certainly love her in our team. She reminds me, I don't know if this is too far off the mark, but reminds me a little bit in terms of what she offers a team of Jacques Cullis at his, at his height with South Africa, you know? I think there's so many similarities. Um, yeah, and it, it seems funny saying this while she's injured, but her durability over 15 years has been incredible. She hasn't missed many games for Australia. Consistent performer, uh, you know you can build, uh, you know, a team around her, her sort of consistency. I guess whether that be with the bat, where she you know puts the five tries on a wicket, uh, she reads the game well and has got power at the back end. And, and then with the ball, she, she's a, a, a noted wicket taker in that power play. Bowls really well through the middle for us as well. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I, I would relate back to Jack Callis in that in that yeah you know, consistency over over a very long period of time and. Um, yeah, she'll go down as one of the greats of the game, and um, you know, she's still got plenty more cricket left in her. Yeah, yeah, he's hoping that she can get right for the uh, ahead of the uh, final, at least if not the semi-final, mate. Uh, I mean, on that front, is it just a matter of going, 
look, you know, I've got to put my faith in someone to do the same job she does, or do you have to change the makeup of the eleven a little bit to try and cover it? Uh, well, I think we've probably showed our hand a little bit in the last game with, with what we did there. I think, uh, you know, someone like Annabelle Sutherland, who was missing out earlier in the tournament, um, she is hitting the ball as well as anyone in the Nets. And it's quite scary in the Nets yesterday how hard she's hitting the ball. Uh, Albert should play a different role. Um, Beth Mooney, obviously, probably gets more opportunity, goes up a little bit higher, and she's, she's one of the best players in the world at the moment. So, you know, as one door closes, it opens up other opportunities for other players and you know we, we said from the moment we set foot on the shore that it was going to take a squad you know, you know to compete in this World Cup and you know you're always going to pick up injuries um, you know and all players out of form so teams change we've used a, a majority of our squad which has been a blessing and and even with our batting at times we probably haven't nailed down um, you know the big scores consistently that we've liked but the, the flip side of that is it's given opportunities to everyone to to, to be able to form and, uh, you know, little partnerships here and there. So everyone goes in with some cricket under their belt, which is, is, is absolute gold going in the semi-final. Yeah, fantastic, mate. That is, uh, I, you know, it's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Uh, having everybody ready to go uh, with some cricket under their belts. Uh, in terms of, uh, from a, I guess, from a coaching point of view, you've watched every team at this tournament. Who's, I don't know if the, the right word has surprised you, but maybe who's impressed you the most that you, you didn't expect uh, as much from? Uh, good question. Oh, well, yeah, I've always, I'll probably flip that around and say, um, people are surprised at South Africa. I think South Africa have been a very, very good team for a long time. And, uh, yeah, they got absolute guns throughout their, their team. They've, they've managed to win some tight games as well, which is, has been excellent. Um, yeah, England, I guess, were, were probably out of sorts a little bit after the Ashes. And, um, you know, they come in the tournament. They've, had a close loss to us and then yeah, went through a, a real tough time for a couple of games. So they're always going to... I suppose a lot of people probably wrote them off. Um, so the surprise that they've come back in is, is probably more than anything. And um, it's all about getting to the semi-final. So what, what's done in the round, whether you've gone through like we have um, or you've gone through like England, it counts for nothing in the semi-final. So uh, they're, they're probably the ones that have surprise most people. Yeah, and in terms of the, the White Ferns, I know we touched on them earlier, but I mean, you guys had that uh, that pre-tournament match where uh, the, the White Ferns chased down 326, lost one wicket and had seven overs up up, up their sleeves, and I know it wasn't a, a strictly 50 over international rules game, there was a, there was a bit of uh, movement with players and things, but I mean, at the end of that as a coach, you look at that and think... The hell happened there? How did that happen? And then how does that team not go on and be dominant in the tournament as well? Yeah, I suppose it's been sort of the way of the tournament. I think um, you know, it would have been, uh, you know, if you're a betting person, it would have been a nightmare to try and pick the results. I think everyone has their preconceived ideas on who's tough teams, but you sort of match up differently against different teams. And sometimes you struggle against um, that other people can't see that and other teams you do well against. And, you know, it was just, I suppose, they got caught in the middle there. I, I got no doubt that getting out in front and winning your first couple of games makes a big difference in tournament like like this. It uh, it relaxes the dressing room, relaxes the squad, and you can actually start to play some cricket. Um, you know, our, our campaign could have been very different if we lost that first game against England. Uh, and they lost a couple of tight games at the start in New Zealand, and you know, played um, catch up all the way through. And you know, playing at home, it, it's added pressure. There's no doubt about that. So that expectation to try and get into the finals. Um, it, it plays on your mind as a, as a group. And, yeah, I, I think they're definitely good enough to be there. I think they've got unbelievable playing strength. Um, they scrap well for each other. 
and a good fielding unit, all, all the things that you want in your team that they've got. Uh, it just wasn't, unfortunately, their tournament. No, it hasn't been, unfortunately, for them, um, but uh, you're going very well for you. Matthew Mott with us, the coach of the Australian team at the Cricket World Cup. Matthew, you've been coaching this team now since 2015. Um, what are your plans? I know you've coached uh, you know, at Glamorgan in the men's game uh, in New South Wales as well. I mean, um, how much more do you think you've got to achieve here? And, and what would you like to do after this if, there, if you've gone that far in your thoughts? Yeah, I, I often get asked that. I think it's around that mark, uh, you know, six, seven years where you start to assess what you what you want to do. And, um, you know, I, I've got some great people in and around me who I trust. Uh, certainly Ray Change and Meg Lanning and uh, Shelley Nitsky and, and Ben Sawyer, the coaching staff. And um, I, I suppose it's just picking the right time to leave. You can't do the job forever. Uh, I absolutely love what I do every day. I think we're in a real sweet spot as a <clears throat> part of me as a, as a, as a support staff and group, so there's certainly no rush to do anything different at the moment, but I, I know there's a finite amount of time as a coach when you can work with a team, but I suppose the one thing that we have done is we've transitioned a lot of young players in in the last couple of years, so I feel like um, there's, still a, there's still a role to play, and um, as long as my voice isn't getting stale, and, and I will lean on all those people uh, if, it, if, it, if it starts to, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that far ahead. I, I never really have, to be honest. I, I just try and enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, if an opportunity comes up in the future, you, you know, you reassess it, you talk with family. But uh, right here, right now, I'm, you know, I've got pretty big things in front of us. We've got a semi-final and hopefully a final. And you know, a Commonwealth Games not too far around the corner as well. So there's plenty keeping me uh, occupied at the moment. Yeah, plenty to play for, that's for sure, mate. Uh, yeah, before we let you go, of course, um, on the men's side of things, the Black Caps have got a series coming up against the Dutch. Uh, you played for as well on uh, international cricket. Uh, uh, there's a few Kiwis and a few Aussies always running around in that Dutch team. I know Pete Boren's over here as part of the, the coaching group who you will have known, who was a former Dutch captain, mate. Uh, what was that experience like for you playing international cricket? And what is cricket like in Holland? Yeah, I, I absolutely love my time in Holland. I um, I played a lot of league cricket in England, and um, I was getting towards the end of my first class career, and uh, an opportunity came up there. And, and in many ways, it shaped what I'm doing today. I think uh, the Netherlands have got a great way about um, when you go over there as a professional, you actually have to coach, and you have to coach all the way through the club, whether it be the juniors, the women's team, whatever. You you are the head coach, and you coach throughout. And I think it's a great system for that for developing players. Um, I, I had a season there. I was meant to go back, but took the role of New South Wales. But um, I absolutely love my time uh, in Holland and great people, very passionate about the game, you know, highly emotional people that really invest in it. Uh, and you can really feed off that energy. I only played a couple of games. I, I was uh, drafted in uh, to, to play a couple of games in the, the old CNG championship back then um, but what I was proud of was I, I, I wasn't a noted bowler and I took a couple of wickets so it made my um, international bowling average look pretty good <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the numbers mate, it's all about the numbers you, you, you're, yeah. like, you're like the Dutch uh, the Dutch Ross Taylor Yeah exactly, <laughs> but no they, I'm, that's so good that they're touring here I'm um, very good mates with Ryan Campbell as well, he's done a lot over there in the last few years and uh, yeah no I wish him well it should be, should be a great experience for all of them uh, and, and their cricket is yeah, you know, it's crying out for, for those sort of opportunities. Thanks very much for coming on, uh, Matthew. I know you've got a lot on your plate, mate. And best of luck ahead of that semi final with the Windies as well. I uh, really appreciate your time. Go well and enjoy the rest of your time in, uh, in New Zealand for the, for the World Cup. Thanks a lot, Ricardo. Take care, mate. Smith on SENZ.
It's 9.26 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who's on uh, Cricket World Cup duty. Uh, you can text us through on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, Temper and Bedpost, like no other, we are putting together our Mount Rushmore of fighters. Now, this can be MMA fighters, it could be kickboxers, it could be wrestlers, it could be UFC fighters, it could be boxers, it could be uh, fictional fighters, potentially, if you wanted to, because I know that somebody in this building has uh, their, their Mount Rushmore prepared and there is a fictional fighter in there, so let's just put that out there. Um, so I keen to hear from you, double eight double three, the Temper Bed Post text machine. Uh, temper and Bed Posts, range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Now, when I say Mount Rushmore, if you're new to this, that's four faces, right? So that's four names. Um, so Dale, he's done it right. Dale sent us through. This is Dale's. He's gone. Bruce Lee, Tyson Fury, the style bender, Israel Adesanya, and Tai Tuivasa. Uh, those are, are Dale's four. Thanks for that, Dale. I uh, appreciate your text coming through. Uh, Zaid, love your work, Zaid. You're a busy man, uh, but we only need four, and you've given us pretty much every active fighter on the UFC roster. Um, so I'm not going to read them all out, but uh, if you want to narrow that down to four, Zaid, send them through again, and we will put uh, we'll, we'll read those out. So get yours in. Your top four, that's what the Mount Rushmore means, your top four fighters can be any discipline. Uh, it could, could be fictional, potentially. Uh, I, I don't know. I think we're even including WWE uh, names, aren't, aren't we, Logan? I mean, yeah, and then that's the whole argument, right? We're talking real or fictional. Where did WWE fit in there? I mean, they are real, but is it fictional? That's that's what I was about to ask, yeah. Um, it kind of borders the line there. I, I know some uh, sports networks overseas do treat it like a real sport. Yeah. So I guess in this instance, yes, we will as well. Uh, I mean, they're athletes. They put their body... Bodies through hell sometimes. You, uh, you hear some horrific <laughs> injuries in wrestling. I don't know how some of them bounce back. But, yes, I put wrestling in there. You did tease a fictional character. Yeah, video games uh, and movie actors uh, all fair game. Okay. All right. So there you go. It gives you a, a broad sheet to pick from. I, I went over this thinking um, the best, the most impactful, um, rather than favourite, to be honest, when I did mine. Uh, but it really is your favourite four fighters, any sort. So give us a text on that Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three double eight double three is the number coming up uh, between now and 10 o'clock. We're going to be talking some basketball. Drew Hill is a Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian and Stephen Adams and the Memphis Grizzlies have gone above and beyond this season. They currently sit second in the Western Conference. They're nine games back from the Suns, who have already got the title wrapped up in the Western Conference. But they are four games ahead of Steph Curry's Golden State Warriors. And teams like the Nuggets, the Jazz and the Mavs, who are a lot more fancy, let alone uh, LeBron's absolutely train wreck of the of the Lakers as well, who will be lucky to get her to play in, let alone a playoff. Uh, so we're going to talk to Drew Hill about that. That is coming up soon. Right now, though, it is time for news and sport with Araha Hathaway. It is 
is 28 away from 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. No Smithy, he's on World Cup duty, so Ricardo Ball in for you. And uh, we are going to be talking about the Memphis Grizzlies, or as they're known over here, the Stephen Adams Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, Grizzly Adams has done wonders at the franchise. And joining us to talk about that, uh, his impact is Drew Hill, Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian. Uh, g'day, Drew, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks man, good. I mean, uh, we saw uh, just the other day, Stephen Adams set a record for the Memphis Grizzlies for most uh, defensive rebounds in a season. Uh, Just how big an impact has he had, and was it the impact you expected? Yeah, I think that um, he's he's had a major impact, obviously, since he got here. There was questions about whether or not uh, it was a good trade for the Grizzlies, I think, when they made it because people were sad to see Jonas Valanciunas leave. He was such a big offensive piece. And Steven, the trade was never really about offense when they traded for him. I guess that's hard for the common fan to understand because you know, most people want to see you put the ball in the basket. But Steven defensively has been a lot more versatile. His rebounding obviously has been great offensively. Um, he, he gets a lot more opportunities than he had in the past playing with John Moran, who drives to the basket so much, there's the tendency to have somebody there to clean it up, and he's done a great job in that role. But I think where he surprised people the most has been his passing. He's been an excellent passer this year. He has a great connection with teammate Desmond Bain, and uh, all of that together has been a a recipe of success for both Steven and the Grizzlies. The the way that he's fitted in here, I mean, because it was a, I don't know, you just treat this as a road bump that season at the Pelicans? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the culture here in Memphis is just a lot better than it was down there in New Orleans. Um, you're playing alongside Zion Williamson, who's obviously another big body type. And uh, I just think that the fit here is a lot better as well as, you know, the the Grizzlies have been winning over the last few seasons. The Pelicans seem to have distractions on and off the court. And here, Steven can really just be himself. He's not really one to be involved in, I guess, sort of the, the dancing and that sort of thing. Uh, he's a little bit more to himself. But he fits well with this with his Grizzlies teammates. They're a young team. He's kind of the, the older guy of the bunch. Um, which is crazy to say because he's only, what, 27 years old. But here he can be sort of the veteran that players look up to, and uh, I think he just fits much better in, in the role here than he did in New Orleans. Yeah, he also does that great thing where he can pick up bodily opposition players and move them out of fracas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's a good <laughs> – I don't know if that was a trick question, but uh, – yeah, he's. I assume you're talking about the screening, um, and he's great at picking people up. The Tony Bradley thing earlier this year with the Bulls was hilarious. Yeah, um, when he picked the guy up and walked him halfway down the court, that was great. Jaron Jackson Jr., big seven footer. He said Stevens actually picked him up too, and it makes him feel like he's a seven year old kid. <laughs> I thought that was a great answer. Uh, but yeah, he. You know, uh, underrated part of Stevens' game is not just the screening. But uh, he, he's one of the big reasons that John Moran has been so successful this year because after he screens, he's really good at sealing off defenders to create a completely open lane for the Grizzlies' guards. And they didn't really necessarily get that last year. And so I think that's part of the reason why you've seen Jobby so successful. He leads the league in paint scoring, and he's six foot three. So 
uh, I think Stephen Adams definitely deserves some credit there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned his passing as well has, has gotten a lot better. Is it, has, I haven't checked the uh, uh, his assist record this season, but does that mean that his, his assists have gone up as well? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think he's going to set a career high in assists per game. Um, they use him in the high post quite a bit where they like throw it to him and he does either the dribble handoff or uh, finds a- another teammate. But he, like I said, with Desmond Bain in particular, for whatever reason, those two guys have found this connection that really works. And um, those two players as a combination have led to more assists uh, you know, to each other than those two guys on the Grizzlies this year. And so... Um, yeah, it's been a, a big uptick for him as far as passing goes. Yeah, I'm just having a look now, actually. He's uh, averaging 3.3 assists a game this season. Uh, his career assist average is 1.5, so it's over double. Yeah, yeah, he's been tremendous, tremendous passing. Yeah, that is superb. And the other thing I think that with, with uh, this team, and this isn't just about Stephen Adams, this is about the team, this is about the coach, I think, it's about the balance of the squad, uh, is that without Jar Morant, you know, you see so many teams who have a big star player, uh, that when the, the, the big star player is not there, you know, they may go to a 50-50 kind of record or something like that, but they're 12-2, and two, I think, is that right, with, without Jar Morant this season, which is uh, incredible. Even better, they're seventeen and two without wow. John Morant this season, which is it. yeah, they've been tremendous without him. I think a big reason why is because they all sort of seem to step up when he doesn't play. Um, they shoot the ball better from three point range for whatever reason when he's not on the court, um, and they've passed the ball really well when he's not on the court. Everyone knows that the Grizzlies and the best version of the Grizzlies involves John Morant. They need him to have the ball in his hands in big playoff series, but uh, for whatever reason, they have performed better when he is off the floor this year, whether it's just guys stepping up or, um, you know, just just everybody making a conscientious effort to to pick up for losing your superstar. They've been awesome, and I think Steven is one of the players that's been awesome, you know, in his absence. Yeah, he's uh, been he's had a fantastic season, Boyle, uh, by any measure, really, and and so have the team. I mean, Drew, if before the season tipped off, I told you that with what six games to play in the regular season, the Grizzlies would be second in the West and just about guaranteed second as well. How quickly would you have been on the phone to the doctors at Arkham Asylum? Yeah, <laughs> uh, very quickly. I would have told you you're absolutely nuts. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that. It's just been a really a perfect storm for Memphis. Uh, so many of their players have taken a leap, whether it's Ja or Jaron Jackson getting a lot better, and Desmond Bain has been a lot better. So they've been great. And at the same time, you've seen more parities enter the league, particularly um, in the Western Conference, because you've got teams like the Clippers that are missing Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You've got a team like Denver that's missing two superstars. Um, and so all of that sort of combined has led to this season for the Grizzlies. And if they win today, there'll be more games above 500 than they ever be- have been as a franchise. So um, it-, it is not an overreaction to say this may be the best regular season in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. And, that, you know, it's been 
awesome to be here for it. Yeah, fantastic to be here, especially when you consider, you know, uh, you look at some of the other teams in the West, you know, the Golden State Warriors, for example, but the Mavs, the Jazz, the Nuggets, they've all been, uh, you know, sort of a top, sort of four, top six team for the last few years. You've got the T-Wolves or the thereabouts, the Clippers who have, yeah, really fallen away, and then the absolute uh, dumpster fire that is the Lakers as well. I, is it a perfect storm? Uh, you know, in terms of where other teams are at at the moment as well? I think it is to a certain degree. And we'll see what happens in the playoffs when they get matched up with some of those teams because, you know, the Grizzlies are very inexperienced. And a lot of these inexperienced teams, especially in the playoffs, they don't make it very far. Um, they did get a little bit of a taste last year, but uh, I, I think that they could benefit from making it a couple of rounds into the playoffs and really getting a better feel for what it's like to play in the postseason. Um, but as far as a perfect storm, I, I would have to say yes. I mean, the only team that's been better than them this year has been Phoenix, and Phoenix has far and away exceeded expectations. And Typically, you could expect that from at least one or, or anywhere between two or three teams. This year, it's really just been the one. The Grizzlies have been the other team that have exceeded expectations. Um, and, and the Grizzlies have already beaten the Suns this year. So I think that there's a, if, if you want to call it a perfect storm for the Grizzlies in terms of how, the way that the West has shaken out, um, the only two things are, are that you know Phoenix has been great and they have the Lakers' first-round pick if it falls outside of the top ten. So they've been actually cheering for the Lakers to try to win games. Um, but the Lakers have just continued to lose. So if you have any gripes as the Grizzlies, the only ones would be, wow, we wish we were in first, and we wish the Lakers weren't all the way down there in 10th. Yeah, the Lakers at the moment, as you mentioned, the 10th, they are a game inside the play-ins, um, and they're a long way off uh, being a playoff team. But that's that's not going to happen this season. Um there is a possibility that the Grizzlies end up playing the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs, as, as I understand it, in terms of the way things work. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I think it would be a good thing. I don't think it's likely to happen simply because they would have to finish 7th or 8th, um, which mathematically that is not totally out of the picture. It just seems pretty unlikely. I would say that the most likely opponents for the Grizzlies are going to be Timberwolves or Clippers. But if we're talking hypothetical Lakers-Grizzlies series, I mean, I don't think that the Lakers get a single game off of the Memphis Grizzlies in a series like that. They just The Grizzlies have dominated them in every matchup that they've played this season. Yes, they have LeBron James, and even at 38 years old, he's awesome. But the Grizzlies are better at every other position on the court than the, than the Lakers. I mean, at least this version of the Lakers that doesn't have Anthony Davis healthy. So I just don't see how LeBron would be able to single-handedly carry them uh, to a series win over the Grizzlies. I, I honestly think the Grizzlies would probably sweep them in that scenario. Yeah, all right, good stuff. Uh, Drew Hill with us. He is the Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian. And Drew, just before we let you go, we do something on the show every Tuesday because uh, I know it's it's Monday where you are. It's Tuesday over here. But uh, where we do the, the Mount Rushmore, where, where people have got to choose their top four of something. We call it the Mount Rushmore. And today we're doing our Mount Rushmore of fighters. That can be anything. It could be boxers, could be wrestlers, could be... You UFC fighters could be somebody out of a movie. Uh, if you're going to throw a name in the hat for the Mount Rushmore of fighters all time, all time favorites, who you got? Oh, just one. I just get one name. Well, you can chuck um, four if you want. Okay. Well, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. So uh, 
I covered – I went to school at the University of Alabama here, and Deontay Wilder, who I know lost to you know Tyson Fury in, in some of those matches, he trains there, and he's from there, and I've had the chance to spend time around him. And, man, he is truly one of the, the hardest workers I have ever seen, and that guy really knows how to sell a fight and how to talk. And because of my personal connection to him, I'll, I'll – I'll, I'll go there to Deontay because I've been able to watch him fight ringside and knock people out. And it, to see his right hand is incredible. So I got to throw him in there. And then the other thing is I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, which is where Muhammad Ali um, obviously spent a lot of his years. And uh, he's the greatest. What can I say? Every year I try to give a donation to the Muhammad Ali Foundation and, uh, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Uh, I think he's the greatest boxer of all time and maybe one of the greatest athletes of all time. And so how could I not include Muhammad Ali in there as well? That's a great shout. The Bronze Bomber and Muhammad Ali. Good stuff, Drew. Thanks for coming on and chatting, man. And uh, best of luck to your Memphis Grizzlies as well. We'll, uh, you know, as, as a nation with only one player in the NBA, it, we'll all be Grizzlies fans. You know that over here in New Zealand. Yeah, well, uh, I look forward to coming on again. I'm going to try to get through this Monday. I'm jealous that you guys are already on Tuesday. <laughs> i got to get through this work week. <laughs> Have another coffee, man. Have another coffee. Good stuff, Drew. <laughs> All right, see you, mate. See uh, Drew Hill from the uh, Daily Memphian, the Grizzlies beat writer there, with us talking, uh, well, his... Uh, Mount Rushmore of fighters, as well as the Grizzlies and their season, and of course Stephen Adams as well. We'll talk more Mount Rushmore. Get your text in on the Temper Bed Post text machine double eight double three. Who you got? Who is in your Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters? So we'll do that next here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. We are asking you uh, your. Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters. Double eight, double three is the team for bed post text machine on this one, and we've had a few come through. Uh, Mark has got uh, Bruce Lee, Mike Tyson, David Tuitt, and Kevin Barry. Um, yeah, I, mean, I remember Kevin Barry fighting at the '84 Olympics when he fought against Holyfield. So uh, not a bad shout, Mark. Uh, Mike Tyson, Tyson Fury. Marvin Hagler, marvellous Marvin Hagler, and the Celtic warrior Steve Collins, Irish boxer. Uh, I think he was a middleweight from memory. Uh, Aiden has sent that one through, so thank you, Aiden. Uh, Dave has gone. Morning, Ricardo. My favourite fighters, Ian Roberts from Manly. Yeah, he could dish it out on the field, that's for sure. Uh, David Carradine, a.k.a. the Grasshopper, Sugar Ray Leonard, and the Bushwhackers. Um, we'll let you get away. That's actually five technically, but we'll, get you, we'll, get, we'll give you that because one of them is a tag team. Uh, Logan, you, you, you had something on that one? Yeah, oh, dude, I love the Bushwhackers. A couple of years ago, uh, we did a series on um, Josh Cronfeld was taking a stab at going into the wrestling ring, and he was getting lessons from the Bushwhackers. So Quality. that is a great shout there from Dave. Also, like, just Kiwi legends in, in, well, let's say the sport of pro wrestling. Yeah, they were absolute Kiwi legends. Uh, I actually I worked with uh, a lady uh, when I lived in Tauranga. I worked in radio down in Tauranga, and uh, her dad was one of the Bushwhackers. Uh, so we got to lots of good stories. It, that just proves New Zealand's such a small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Hey, uh, now, Zaid, who texted through the entire roster of the UFC earlier, has come back with a scale down four. Thank you, Zaid. He has said uh, that his favourite UFC fighters are Israel Adesanya, Tai Tuivasa, um, Kaikara France, and Paddy the Batty. Um, so thank you for that. It doesn't have to be UFC fighters. It can be anything. It can be boxers. It could be wrestlers. It could be fictional. Um, I know that Logan's got a couple of fictional ones in his, so we'll get to those a little bit later on, but keep your texts coming through. 
on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk Blues Moana Pacifica. That game is tonight a catch up game at Mount Smart. Steve Devine is going to join us. We're also going to have the Dilmar Expertise panel with Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis, and we'll continue to talk about the Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters as well, right here on Mornings with Ian Smith. On SCNZ. A couple of minutes away from 10 o'clock here on Mornings with Ian Smith. No Smithy, he's on World Cup duty. Ricardo Ball in for him. Hey, make sure you tune into SCNZ every Sunday between 11 and 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. It's hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed show. Uh, always good for a tip or three, or four, or five. Uh, but, yeah, good show. Interviewing lots of different trainers as well. Keep your texts coming in, too, on the Temper Bedpost text machine uh, for your Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters. Uh, this one's come through from Taffy Paul out of Christchurch. He said, only one fighter for me, boys. Joe uh, Kilzagi, Wales finest. Um I, yeah, I, I'm not even going to attempt to do that in a Welsh accent, but thank you, Paul, for texting us through, um, and keep those texts coming through on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three double eight double three. In the next hour, we have the Dilmar Expertise panel with Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. And we're also going to catch up with Louis Herman Watt for a Love Racing update. We'll hear from the TAB as well and catch up with the latest from them. And... Steve Devine, former All Black and Blues halfback, is going to chat to us because coming up tonight, the Blues play Moana Pacifica at uh, Mount Smart Stadium in the catch-up game that was uh, postponed due to COVID. And then this Saturday, those two teams go head-to-head again at Eden Park. So Steve Devine's going to give us the DL on those two games and how he thinks things will play out. So stick around for that and more here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, this is Mornings with Ian Smith, with not without Ian Smith, because Ian Smith is on Cricket World Cup duty. It is three past ten, Ricardo Ball with you through until midday today. Coming up this hour, we have the Dilmar Expertise Panel with Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Uh, we'll have a, a Love Racing update with Louis Herman. What we'll talk to the TAB as well. And uh, right now, it's time for a man who, much like myself, keeps the TAB afloat week to week, uh, Steve Devine. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? How's holiday? Oh, mate, holiday was good. Holiday was good. Managed to uh, spend a few days on Waiheke and sampled a few different uh, wineries. Uh, so, yeah, you can't complain, mate. Not, can't complain at all. Very good. Yeah, mate, it was, it was, it was too good, mate. How about, uh, how about you? you survived the week without me? Mate, got through it. Got through it. It was a, um, not, not a energetic, as energetic as we normally are on a Wednesday night, but uh, it wasn't bad. We did miss you. That's good. That's good to hear. So I've got a job to come back to. Basically, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, your your job's more secure than mine is. Put it that way. <laughs> good stuff, mate. Now, hey, we we're going to talk on Wednesday night on uh, Blues Brothers at seven thirty here on SCNZ. But I thought I'd get you on today because uh, we're in an interesting situation where we've got two teams in Moana Pacifica and the Blues who are going to play each other twice in five days tonight at Mount Smart and then Saturday night 
at Eden Park. Uh, I don't I, even in storm weeks. I don't remember teams playing each other hit twice in a in the same week. Do you? No, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rarity that they're going to go back to back. Which is, uh, I mean, it's got its good and bad uh, options. I, I see both teams have sort of rung the changes in for for the tonight's game. Um, so that's not a bad thing to test the depth of the squad and and see give these younger boys a bit of a bit of a chance against an opposition that also is a little bit younger and maybe not so um, experienced. So it should make it some pretty good rugby, I imagine tonight. Yeah, it should be good, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, as a Blues fan, I look at it and get a bit nervous. I mean, I look at what the Hurricanes did uh, when they rested a bunch of players and got beat on the weekend by this Moana Pacifica side, and even the Crusaders. I know they won that game against Moana Pacifica, uh, but they put out a you know a team with a lot of fringe players in it and. Certainly, um, were, were I think worried towards the end that they weren't even going to get the bonus point. Um, so, it, it it could be a, a bit of a, a a roll of the dice, a bit of a gamble from from Leon. Oh, absolutely! But you, you know, you've always got to be careful of the little brother syndrome. So, a lot of a lot of these minor Pacifica players have been on the fringe of Blues rugby, have been in Auckland club rugby. Um, you know, and they haven't just quite made it into the Blues setup. So. They'll be out to prove a pretty big point, and and normally when when the A team plays the B team or or the big brother plays the little brother, normally the the little brother goes pretty good. So certainly a lot to worry about for Blues. I think there's you know there's a few there's a few All Blacks scattered throughout the team, but um, yeah they need they need to be a little bit careful. They can't go in it too easy. You know, minor Pacifica have been performing, um, so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a good match. It will be, mate. One of the players that um, we might get a, uh, an, a, an opportunity to see is uh, this kid, Josh McKenzie, um, who Leon McDonald's been talking about. He can play 10, he can play fullback. Uh, he's been likened to, to Jeff Wilson in that he also plays top-level cricket at the moment as well, which uh, you don't see very often. He was part of that New Zealand 11 team who played the Netherlands uh, a week or so back. Um, do you know much about this guy? Have you seen him running around? Mate, I haven't seen him around. I have heard about him. Uh, I know he's a tremendous talent. Uh, I know he had a pretty successful school schoolboys campaign. So, mate, he'll be there or thereabouts. I imagine. I mean, like I said before, it's just so great to be able to see these kids uh, and not up against hardened professionals. You know, so both teams have, uh, are scattered with changes, and it's it's probably fair to say it's not either team's A team, but. You know, it's a it's a great opportunity for for those younger kids to get to get a chance, not up against hardened professionals. So, you know, it might be a little bit slower, and it might might not have that intensity. But you know, we're going to see what New Zealand's debts, you know, what what they have on offer. There's there's some pretty outstanding rugby players on the field. I'm a, you know, the minor Pacific team. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the number ten, uh, Lincoln McClutchy. He he played. So well against the Crusaders, you know, sort of three weeks ago, he was for me. He was a standout on the field. Um, so yeah, there's some, certainly some great raw talent running around, and you know, this is this is where they get the opportunity to perform and you know push push their name forward to to make the A teams as such, and maybe be run around Eat Park next week. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, because on Saturday, uh, you know, those places will be up for grabs. I mean, I look at the Moana Pacifica team and Jack Lamb in for Henry Stowers. I think, you know, that, that helps balance that up. But Stowers has been so influential for them. And so have uh, Danny Tuala and Levi Amua, who are both missing as well. So uh, it's uh, an opportunity, you know, for uh, guys like Finney Anisi and Henry uh, Taifu to, to really put their hands up. Yeah. I mean, both teams, you know, this is 
this is this is what the Moana team will be just itching to go. That all the young, all the young players, all the talent, all the kids that you know are out there to prove a point and, and want to push their rugby further, and they they come up against the big brother. So, man, they will be itching to go, and it's a real it's a real nightmare situation for for Leon McDonald. I imagine is knowing that you know these young kids are. I've been itching for so long to, to to make the Blues team, and now they're they're up against them on a Tuesday night at Mount Smart. You know, they'll they'll the Blues will be nervous about this one. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I look at it and uh, in terms of like for like, and I think possibly the um, the place that Moana Pacifica really does edge this Blues team at the moment is in that halves because Anari and McClutchy, I think, uh, look really good. I mean, Fanaki hasn't really had much opportunity, and Peter Feta started the season at fullback. Yeah, 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 and that's a big part of the game, right? That nine and ten combination. Um, it, it's going to be who can get the other team in, in the right parts of the field. And I mean, Peter Fed has been playing some pretty good footy. No one can take that away from him this year. So he he will really need, you know, his leadership will need to go to another level to steer these younger kids around. He's he's had some pretty experienced people around in the last few weeks, and but they don't quite seem to be there this week. So he's he's going to really need to step up and take a leadership role and really point these uh, younger boys in the right direction. So, um, you know, the minor team pride themselves on their physicality so far in this tournament. And, and you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting. They're not, they won't take a backward step. And uh, sometimes when uh, the, young, the young boys get a, gets a bit more physical than they used to, they, they tend to struggle a little bit. So... It's going to be, mate, it's going to be a super interesting game tonight. I, I, I'm really looking forward to watching it. Yeah. How important for the Blues is Luke Romano in this team when you look at all the uh, the young faces in that Blues outfit? Yeah, well, he's the one old head, right? He's mm. the one old head who's likely to add a bit of voice up front. You know, the, the rest of them are, you know, he's got Nepo there that, that's been around the block a few times, but he's probably not a hugely influential talker, sort of communicator. So... Looking through that forward pack, he's, he's probably the one big talker. You know, do do as I do, not as I say, and just put the head down and get stuck into the hard work because they're going to need it. They're going to need a few of those young boys to, to really get physical and uh, try and get on top of the other pack because it, it could be a long day. Not not many teams have beaten the Moana uh, pack so far this season, so it's going to it could be a, you know a very physical, tough day at the office for the for the front eight. The guy I'm looking forward to seeing have a crack is Xavier Kali Tioti. Uh, of course, his brother Jira played for the Blues for a number of seasons before heading over to Japan. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of him? Uh, he's still developing. He's only a young lock, but uh, you know he could be another one to watch. Yeah, well, I think he's been in the Blues squad, the academy, for the last few years. He is a, he's a talent. He's, he's a big. He's athletic. He'll get around. Uh, he'll get around the park well. He's, he's certainly physical, like his uh, like his brother was. So. You know, you get these raging athletic locks running around these days and, you know, they can play lock or six uh, at a whim if they need to. So, yeah, big, strong athletic boys um, moving at high speed. It, it makes for some big collisions and um, I think the Blues need to be ready for, you know, multiple big collisions because um, looking at the Hurricanes game last week, that's, you know, that's what they did. Their two locks were running around just nodding people all the match. And really, really got the uh, the hurricanes on the back foot, you know. Mm, yeah, they did that. They did that. Now, I mean, you, you know, we talk about that. Um, uh, one of the questions I've got coming up for, uh, for Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis on the Dilma expertise panel later on is: Can the Can Moana Pacifica um, go back to back and get a W against the Blues tonight? I'm saying they've probably got more chance of doing it tonight than they do on Saturday. Uh, where are you on that? Uh, yeah, listen, I, I just think. Um, I just think at this 
Blues team can can do and play that quick ruck ball, if they can get that quick ruck ball going like they have uh, at times in the last few weeks, then then they should be right. They don't want to get in a just a straight physical um, matchup against these guys. I, I think you know they're, they're going to be pushing stuff uphill to do that. They just need to speed speed trumps. Um, size and power. So if they use their speed to get around the edges, I, I think they'll be all right. If they if they try and make it an arm wrestle and go straight front and get, try and go over the top of one on Pacifica, I think they're going to be in trouble. So speed speed for me is going to be uh, the most important part of this match for the Blues. Just speed, quick ruck ball, get it in, get it out, get it to the fringes where they've got some really exciting players. And uh, I, I think that's where that's where they need to go. And obviously, on the other hand, if the Moana Pacifica team can slow them down and make it a bit of a French warfare match, then uh, then they're in with a chance, a real good chance. Yeah, uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting, of course, because they do match up again on Saturday. I imagine the teams will look different come Saturday. But from a coaching point of view, I mean, you know, Aaron Major up against Leon McDonald, those guys know each other pretty well, you would think. Um how do you approach this, given that you're going to play each other five days later? I mean, do you try and keep something up your sleeve for the second match, or is it all in on this one? Uh, I think I think as a coach, you've, you've got to almost just split the squad into two this week and just say, um, we're going to give the young boys a chance. This is your chance to shine, to perform, um, and, and make them get excited about, you know, getting an opportunity and uh, then taking Saturday's team away and let them prepare for Saturday is completely different. You know, I just I treat it as two matches with two different teams. If, if I was a coach, knowing that uh, you know, give give the young boys a chance on Tuesday night and then uh, bring in the big boys back for Saturday. Um, you know, if they play well, there's a chance for selection on Saturday as well. But it, I mean, it's a big ask to, to try and play three matches in a week. Um, it, it, it is a very tough ask um, with the physicality of Super Rugby these days. Now, I mean, if I had asked you, um, if I told you that sort of by third game of the season, uh, Moana Pacifica had a win against a New Zealand opponent, uh, you probably would have thought I was barking, mate. Um, but uh, how impressed have you been with what they've been able to achieve so far? Well, they haven't really been blown away. You know, they've been competitive. Uh, the Chiefs put a few points on them, but, you know, they were they were coming back from COVID and whatnot, so... Mate, it has been very hard for them, but yeah, I mean, you can just tell the team dynamics. You can tell they're working hard for each other. You can tell they've got a little bit of something different to the New Zealand teams. You know, they really go back to their culture. You know, they sing after the game. They they, they sing before the game. Uh, I, I really enjoy. I really really enjoy watching it. Um, you know, there's some there's a few old heads in there that are, you know really offering leadership to the, to the younger boys. No one ever expected them to win a game in their first year. You know, they knocked over the Hurricanes, and it was, you know, they did it. They did it well. They did it in style. Um, it wasn't it wasn't probably the most experienced Hurricanes team out there, but what they showed is, um, you know, when they when they're working hard for each other, they can they can get all of these uh, younger teams. You know, the Hurricanes team was was young. You know, you took Artie Sevier out of it. And you took uh, Geordie off with sort of 30 minutes, 20 minutes to go. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the Hurricanes looked very young and very inexperienced. And, you know, the old heads of, um, you know, Leofano and, and, and whatnot got, got on top of them. And it was it was bloody good to see. And, uh, you know, you can tell they're building a really strong culture. Um, and, and, and it's going to go a long way, you know. If, if the Blues are not up to it and they're not good enough, they're, they're going to get knocked over again tonight, I reckon. 
Mm, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great game. Looking forward to watching it, Steve. Hey, thanks very much for giving us some time, mate. I know you're at work, so we'll let you go uh, and and get ready to slide down a pole or three, um, rescue getting out of a tree, etc., mate. Uh, but we'll talk to you again tomorrow night eh, at seven thirty for Blues Brothers. Hey, seven thirty. Looking forward to it. She'll be good. Steve Devine there with us, our former All Black and Blues halfback, uh, talking Blues Minor Pacifica. That game is tonight at uh, Mount Smart Stadium. The Blues are $1.09 favourites. Moana Pacifica, $5.75. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Is our um, Mount Rushmore today of your four favourite fighters? It can be any discipline. It can be. Uh, it can be. You know, uh, it could be wrestlers. It could be UFC fighters. It could be boxers. It could be movie stars. It could be anything. So I'll leave you to, to, to dwell on that, and we'll get to that at the end. But let's start with the Blues playing Moana Pacifica tonight. Uh, Moana Pacifica, of course, uh, knocked over the Canes on the weekend, uh, and you know they are resting a f- quite a few themselves. The Blues have put out very much a second-string team as well. Jamie, looking at these two teams, do you think Moana can go back-to-back and get another W tonight? Well, that's a great question, because uh, everything's pretty much getting reset uh, just due to the fact that this game's only, what, three days after the last hmm. time these teams played and there's so many changes it's pretty hard to know I mean personally I'm backing the Blues because they're just a better team and there's no way that they're going to play as poorly as the Hurricanes did on Friday night um, with all the goodwill and and support for Minor Pacific coming out which is great and they 100% deserve it I still think that game said more about the Hurricanes than it did about Minor Pacifica because they played so badly it would have to rate in my opinion, uh, as someone who unfortunately had to grow up in Wellington watching them, uh, is one of their worst performances ever. So um, it's really up in the uh, up in the air. I think uh, if you would have asked me this time last week, uh, I would have said the Blues easily. Um, I still think they're going to win, but it's definitely not going to be by as big a margin as people would have thought. And you touched on it in your last uh, segment there with Steve Devine. I think it's going to come down to the halves. And they're very evenly matched uh, right now. Although I will say that Stephen Perifeta is in very good form uh, at the moment, but it's going to be really interesting to see how he goes up against Lincoln McClutchy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that uh, match. Uh, what about you, Brad? What's your take on this? Yeah, I've been super impressed with Stephen Perifeta this season. Definitely the best season he's had, um, and he's been a big part of the Blues' uh, relative success bar a 10-minute period against the um, Canes in, earlier this season. But Look, I kind of feel like the Blues are due to gel, right? Like, they're, they're due to put in a, a full 80-minute performance. They were they were good against the Hollanders uh, last weekend, but but not great, right? There were moments where they lapsed, and as good as Moana Pacifica were, I agree uh, with Jamie. Like, the Hurricanes pretty much handed that against them on a platter in many, uh, for, for many reasons, um, just with some silly play, um, some dumb play, in fact, and... All credit to Minor Pacifica; they deserved they deserved that win. Um, but I've I've got the Blues winning pretty comfortably. Uh, just just a gut feeling I have that they're kind of due to to put a full performance together. Yeah, and I I guess Jamie, then uh, what we get from this is who puts their hand up to get maybe into the team on Saturday, or as like, as Steve mentioned in the in the last break, is Leon McDonald just treating these as two separate games and he split his squad in half? I mean, do you expect many mm. changes between Tuesday and Saturday? Uh, to be honest, mate, we could probably have this have this conversation again tomorrow and it could go a completely different way because I think that they have pretty much picked the teams already. Uh, I, I, there might be a, a, a couple of positions up for, for contention on the bench, um, perhaps, but 
I think I think though again, and and, and talking about Peter Feta, uh now that Bowden Barrett is going to be out um, for a while, you know, Liam McDonald has a bit of a uh, problem to solve um, around ten um, and wh- how he's going to manage that. So perhaps he might back up again. Um, and for Moana Pacifica, I, I think that that team that played the Hurricanes is, is their top, their top fifteen. Um, although, again, the inside backs uh, potentially could make a case um, for one another because going into the season, I, I, I think it was uh, presumed by most people that Irianari and Lincoln McClutchy would be their starting nine and ten, and that hasn't been the case uh, with Christian Liliafano, um coming in. Uh, and doing a pretty good job there in that game on Friday. So, yeah, I think I think the teams are pretty settled, but m- maybe maybe just a couple of question marks over those those positions. Yeah, I mean, I think a full strength Blues team, uh, or no no Bowden Barrett, obviously, and possibly no RTS either, will will be too strong even with you know the likes of uh, Stowers and Amoa and uh, Dan- uh, Danny Tuala back, right, uh, Brad? Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. The composition's kind of at a a weird point, right, with these with these midweek games, and we sort of don't know where we're at. It's um, it's weird. Like you know, even the Crusaders game on the weekend was a big turnaround from the week before. I, I don't know how Jamie feels or you. I just don't really know who the best team in the comp is right now. Like, you know, the Blues haven't played. Uh, you know, they they got out of jail against the Chiefs. They haven't played the Crusaders. Uh, we we think they're a good team, but we don't quite know yet. And you know the. The Crusaders, we know, are a very good team, but also they they have kind of a, a loss in them as they showed against the Chiefs a few weeks ago. So, and Moana Pacifica look like they could be any team on any given day if, if things go right for them. So it's an interesting point of the comp. And um, yeah, I, like I said, I just don't really know who the best team is right now. I'll tell you, it's the Brumbies, mate. They're unbeaten. That's uh, we do tend to forget <laughs> that there are a bunch of Australian teams playing of as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's talk about cricket, the Cricket World Cup, of course, in our backyard. I think most of us expected uh, on on lead and form to the tournament that the White Ferns would be at the semi-final stages. They haven't made it to the semi-finals. Jamie, does anybody in New Zealand care about the Cricket World Cup anymore? Oh uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that the the tournament itself has been a really good showcase uh, for women's cricket um, and it's probably surprised quite a lot of people who probably aren't as exposed to it uh, as normal and I think that for the people that have really sunk their teeth into it and, and become emotionally attached to it um, they're going to keep keep watching it obviously it would be better if the White Ferns were there and uh, it's been extremely disappointing um, that they're not but the, the one thing about that is that uh, people right from the first game have had um, have, have had plenty of time to get used to the fact that they're not going to be in the semi-finals because uh, the White Ferns haven't uh, lost that match and and didn't really get much better uh, after that. So if you've been following the Cricket World Cup up until now, you you know full well that New Zealand weren't going to be there. So um, you know there's plenty of other great cricketing nations that are going to be playing, um, and it's all set up for what should be a big final. And an Australian team that, you know, going on their results, it should be, be regarded as one of the greatest uh, limited overs teams of all time, uh, in both men's and women's. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a fair shout. Uh, what about you, Brad? Uh, do you think the public in general care anymore now the White Ferns aren't there? I think there will be a, a slight wane in that, right? Like, um, yeah, uh, but in saying that, though, there's something about the South African team that makes me feel like they have a massive upset in them in the final if they can get there. They just they seem to be pretty strong in some key areas. They're a very good bowling side 
and they have four or five really good batsmen uh, that, that can take a game away from the opposition, as we saw in the Indian game the other night. But this Australian team, and I've said it before, is, is the best women's cricket team that's probably ever taken the park, and they shouldn't lose a game uh, in this tournament and probably won't. But for me, the interest comes in, in the South African team. I, I really think they're, they're a very good lineup. Should be a great game against the Palms. Uh, but yeah, that's where the interest lies with me is, is the South African team good enough to take that next step and, and, and win a Women's World Cup? I don't necessarily buy into the, the thought that the White Ferns were a lock for the semis from the start. Their form in the last two years suggested otherwise, frankly. Uh, and, you know, obviously if they beat the West Indies in the first game, they, they make the semis, but they didn't. Tough luck. And, uh, yeah, we, we move on. Um, but, yeah, the interest for me is in, is in if the South African team can, can cause the big upset and make the final and beat Australia. Well, this is the Dilmar Expertise Panel on Mornings with Ian Smith, Brad Lewis and Jamie War with us after the latest news in sport with Aroha Hathaway. We're going to continue on. We're going to talk the Warriors and we're going to talk the Mount Rushmore of Fighters. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. It is 28 away from 11 here on the Expertise Panel Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Dilma, do try it. They're celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Is it just me, that, that slurp on the on the little intro? My missus goes burka if anybody slurps their tea. And I always just I just hear that and cringe. Like, oh, yeah, sorry, but it is just a sound effect. It right. kind of sounds like it's me doing it, but yeah. I swear it's not. Sure, sure. Okay, all right. Now, yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll talk matters of tea later on, uh, but um, our expertise <laughs> panel, uh, Brad Lewis, Jamie Warbeck with us. Um, here's a question I'll, I'll post to you first, Brad. Uh, the Warriors, mm. um, of course, uh, have had an indifferent start to the season. I did see somebody... Uh, to say after their win over the Tigers that it could be the first game in history where both coaches get sacked after a game uh, because it was so, <laughs> so bad. Um, but uh, let's try and put a positive spin on it. Um, if everybody is fit and if Nathan Brown can pick anybody who wants, what is the Warriors' best 13? Yeah, that is the million-dollar question, right? Like, me personally, I'd like to see Reese Walsh play in the halves and Dallin with Tanisha Lesniak play at fullback um, just to and have that pairing with Sean Johnson. There's plenty of options there in the halves, Cody, Chanel, uh, Ash Taylor, and, and Johnson if, if they're all fit. But I don't know, there's something about Reese Walsh that needs to be closer to the game for me. And with Tanisha Lesniak was, has been outstanding for the Kiwis in the number one jersey where he's had to wear that in the past great winger as well. Uh, and, and I'd like to see you and Aiken move into the centres. That's where he's at his best. That's where he's established himself as, as a you know, top-class NRL player. Um, and up front, obviously, Tohu Harris comes in. Josh Curran's the first name on the team sheet every single week. That guy um, is... Uh, don't you know? I love him. Why we can Warriors fans because he's got state of origin player written all over him. And and when you become a state of origin player, you tend to leave the Warriors. So I could see a Sydney club lighting him up at the end of his deal. Uh, so you know, Lodge, Egan, Fanua, Blake, Tohu Harris, Josh Curran, probably Bailey Surin in the back row, maybe Ali Katoa, and then and then your your back line for me would be with with Tini Zalesniak at the back, probably Pompey and Montoya on the wings. Um, Berry and Aiken in the centres with Johnson and Walsh as the halves. Yeah, okay. Well, there's uh, that's uh, pretty comprehensive. Uh, what have you got to add to that, Jamie? I uh, uh, can't really argue with much of what Brad's just uh, said there. Um, yeah, my main move as well was uh, if, when he's fit, move Watini Zalesniak to fullback and Walsh to the halves, and also, like Brad said, Aiken um, to centre. Uh, and yeah, I mean the, the Ford pack is. is Pretty much what they've been what they've been running with. Um, be nice to see a bit more, bit more use out of Ali Katoa. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah, like I, like I said, Brad pretty much nailed it on the head. But it, the the thing for me is that it's not really that much of a conversation about the players you can pick. I mean, there are thirteen good mm. players there that can win NRL games. It's it's the coach, and uh, I, I'm just I'm just just not inspired by Nathan Brown at all. I just I just don't really have any faith in him and what he's doing with this team right now because a good coach would be getting the best out of these players. Uh, and he's doing that. And and if you're going to be sort of looking at what you need to change, it's it's up there in the box. And it's a shame because, you know, from what I've heard, Nathan Brown's a good guy and everything. But, you know, this is just the story of the Warriors. You give someone come in um, saying they're going to do a job, they and they and they they just seem to just tick the boxes. And we need someone who's who's coming in and going to take this team to new places. Um, unfortunately, the Warriors just aren't a team that just seem to want to attract. Uh, someone like that, and I think that if you're going to be talking about money and what they're doing with it, it's that's where they should be fronting up and, and looking for a top tier coach. How difficult that is to actually make happen, well, that's another thing. But they need to kind of be trying because I don't think Nathan Brown's the guy who's going to be taking this team anywhere anywhere further than they were last year. Yeah, well, I mean, without getting Craig Bellamy, uh, I guess the question is who is available, who's realistic that could be that top-tier coach? And oh, they, oh uh, absolutely, absolutely. You're yeah. right, you're right. It, yeah. like, like it's, it's, that's, that's a tough one because there's only about, ever, you know, only ever four or five coaches actually floating around in the NRL that can actually win a premiership. So, you know, I, I definitely put my hand up and say, like, well, there's the big asterisk next to that question. But... That's, that we is had one. Issue. His name was Ivan Cleary. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great yeah, exactly. coach. We had a great coach, and um, was it Wayne Scar at the time decided not to keep him at the club um, for a longer than a while? I can't. Sorry, look, I'm sorry if it was Wayne. It might have been John Hart, but we had a great coach who was building something special. Who should have been at the club like a Wayne Bennett for 20 years, and we let him go. Yep, that's true. I was going to throw a name out there as a guy who maybe doesn't stri- uh, jump up as a front of mind, this guy will win a premiership, but I think has all the hallmarks of being a guy who could be a very, very good coach and could be a project coach, and, and that is um, Christian Wolf, who's now at St Helens. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that as a possibility, uh, Brad? He certainly brings players together, right? And we know there's a big Polynesian aspect to this Warriors team, um, although it's not as big as it used to be. Uh, but I guess he <clears throat> kind of needs to prove himself away from international football. That Thailand side, probably the most talented, you know, international side on the planet in terms of, of the players they can call on, um, you know, beating Kiwis in Australia in recent times. So, like, yeah, for me, um, for me, he needs to prove himself um, in the NRL or, or, I mean, even in Super League. Like, Nathan Brown went away to Super League and did pretty well. And, I mean, he's, he's got, like, a, what, a 40% win rate? in the NRL, so I'm with Jamie, I'm just completely uninspired by Nathan Brown at this point. Yeah, alright gentlemen, our last question for the Dilma Expertise panel then is uh, to do with our Mount Rushmore, uh, this is your favourite four fighters that are going to go on your Mount Rushmore, so I, I, I'll start with you Jamie, who have you got, who are your favourite four? Uh, well, my favourite boxer of all time would have to be Smoking Joe Frazier. I mean, just a guy who just absolutely never gave up and was part of some some of the greatest uh, boxing fights of, of all time. Um, and I just love watching replays of that guy that guy fight. Um, I think uh, from the from Hollywood, I'd have to go with Bruce Lee. Uh, no one's beating him. Um, Russell Crowe as well. He was known to love love a bit of a fight. Um, <laughs> but my favourite. Um, but I would I would have to say you know just as a kid who grew up in the in the Attitude Era uh, it would have to be Stone Cold Steve Austin I mean uh, just he- hearing that that glass shatter just sends a shiver up my spine and seeing him come out and uh, just 
stomp a mud hole and someone walk it dry. I mean, uh, you, you can't get much tougher and and more successful than, than a man like that who just completely changed the industry. Um, so, you know, shout out to my man Chris Jericho as well. He, he, he was a great uh, wrestler uh, as well. But uh, it has to be Stone Cold Steve Austin for me. All right, Stone Cold. He's, he's, he's giving back, a shout he's out. back next week. Yeah, was, oh, there you go. Yeah. The old man is back. Uh, what about you, Brad? <laughs> who, who's, who's your Mount Rushmore of fighters? Okay, so um, first and foremost, Mike Tyson, because he was must-watch, right? Yeah. So um, I, I, that's how I grew up, and that's how I fell in love with, with fight sports, was watching Mike Tyson in that sort of three- or four-year prime of his from 86 through to 1990. So <clears throat> he's number one for me. Uh, number two, in terms of Hollywood, would be Clubber Lang. I think he was the scariest dude uh, in any of the Rocky movies, and that first fight with Rocky when he just completely wiped the floor of him, you know, was brutal. And you know, um, so and he just Mr. T just looks like a badass. So, so that's two for me. Uh, number <clears throat> number three was Ron as Ronda Rousey. She uh, she kind of brought women's mixed martial arts to the mainstream to where it is today. There'd be no Amanda Nunez, no Misha Tate, no Valentina Shevchenko without Ronda Rousey uh, leading the way and <clears throat> convincing Dana White that women's MMA had a place in the world and she's gone on to do great things in WWE and has made events in WrestleMania um, later in the week as well. And like Jamie, massive Stone Cold fan, when that music hits, like, you get goosebumps, man. Like, it was, it's interesting, like, Stone Cold probably, Steve Austin only had a sort of a three or four year prime from like a 96 through to about 2001, 2002 before he had to retire. But it was the greatest sort of five or six year period in pro wrestling history. And when his music hit, it got, you got goosebumps, the crowd popped huge and, you know, great on the mic, great in the ring. Um, seems like a pretty good bloke. And yeah, like I said, apparently returning to the ring, well, for an interview segment anyway, uh, at WrestleMania next week in Texas. Yeah, looking forward to it. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thank you very much for being part of the uh, Dilma Expertise panel today. Anytime. Cheers, Ricardo. Yeah, we'll make sure that uh, uh, Logan gets you a, uh, a, a, a Dilma gift pack to take away like they do on the TV, you know, when they do it in the, in the break of the, of the, of the, of the cricket. Uh, we'll make sure we get one of those out to you, gentlemen. Uh, th- thanks uh, very much to Dilma for their expertise uh, panel. Uh, they are celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Uh, we have got Dean Lonigan coming up with a big announcement just after 11 o'clock uh, in the boxing world, speaking of fight sports. We also have Louis Herman Watt talking uh, love racing, and we're going to catch up with someone from the TAB as well. Keep your texts coming through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Double eight, double three. Who are your Mount Rushmore fighters? Four of them. Give us those names. Oh eight hundred. Double eight, double three. Double eight, double three. 13 away from 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, Smithy is on the road doing uh, World Cup duty. So, Ricardo Ball in for you today. And uh, we have been getting a heap of texts through on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight, double three, about uh, your Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters. Uh, this one has come through, no name on it, but saying Mount Rushmore is uh, Ip Man. Yeah, great movie that. Uh, Bruce Lee, uh, Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson. That's that's hard to argue, those four. That's a, that's a great four. Uh, also, uh, Muhammad Ali, Pac-Man, yeah, Manny Pacquiao, and Costa Zoo. I see his son Tim Zoo had another one on the weekend as well. So more good shouts. Keep them coming through on double eight double three. Uh, now also had a couple of people texting in about the Warriors. Um, uh, Mark uh, has asked, uh, what about Shane Flanagan? Yeah, I wouldn't mind Shane Flanagan. In fact, I've been quite vocal about I wouldn't mind him at, at the heels. I know Brad Arthur's kind of got them to one uh, one point. I just don't know if he can get them over the winning hump of a premiership. But I know Shane Flanagan can, and he 
Ears and Eels man from back in the day. So, yeah, wouldn't mind him. Uh, and this one here, uh, we don't have any name attached to it, but I, I like I like the cut of your jib. Uh, blame the coach again for the Warriors' failures. He is not out there passing, catching and tackling, which are basics. You need to challenge these know-it-alls you have on. The Warriors have had more coaches than any other club. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for your text. Uh, you do make a good point about the amount of coaches through there. I think it's a lot to do with recruitment as much as it is to do with anything. So uh, it does seem to be an issue for the Warriors being able to recruit players from Australia and get them to come here. I mean, the, the latest one, of course, we're seeing is, is Ewan Aiken being released from the final two years of his contract because he doesn't want to come and live in New Zealand. It's like, mate, you've signed for a team called the New Zealand Warriors, and outside of COVID, they're based in New Zealand. So suck it up, sunshine. Uh, you knew what you were doing when you were signing. Uh, I don't buy this BS. I think he's just got a better deal. Uh, I don't think it's anything to do with staying closer to family in Australia or any of that mate. rubbish. I thought it was the Redcliffe Dolphins. <laughs> no, I'm oh, sorry, the Redcliffe Warriors. <laughs> exactly. Mate, well, I wouldn't be surprised to see you and Aiken running around in a, in a Dolphins jersey next season. Would you? Would you? If he's getting this early release? No, no. And I, I did think it was a good shout too, actually, about uh, you and Aiken going back into the centres. Because, I mean, as good as a job as he's done in the second row for the Warriors, he, we, we really don't have any centres of, of any note. But we are loaded with second rowers. So I, I think it makes sense to put him back there. Um, Dale has also texted through on double eight double three our temper bedpost text machine. Warriors' problems start with the owners wanting to make money with a sports franchise and then having a useless CEO. Uh, well, that's, uh, yeah, Dale, thanks for your thoughts on that one. I know they've just changed the CEO. We'll see if things change on that front. It is 10 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, we're five away from 11, and that uh, horse name can only mean one thing. No, not Mr. Ed, it is Louis Herman Watt. G'day, mate, how are you? Yes, very well, Rick Dog, how are you? Yeah, good, mate, good. Uh, it is uh, the Love Racing.nz update. You're home for everything thoroughbred racing. Uh, nothing, no racing on today from the thoroughbreds in New Zealand. We've got Matter Matter tomorrow, mate. Uh, what, do you, what do you want to chat? Gee, that's sharp from you. Um, yep, no racing today. We're at Matter Matter tomorrow, but yesterday... Monday. I'd like to shed a little bit of light on what I believe might be one of the fairy tales of New Zealand racing history because Murray Baker is a Hall of Famer. He is a legend of the sport. He is, well, I think he's won the most Australian group ones, which if you ask almost any trainer in New Zealand, um, they like to make a living. They like to win races. Any race, they'll tell you, a lot of them will tell you that a midweek race at Harwater or Wingatui is exactly the same as winning a Group 1. They just get the thrill out of it. But at the heart of it, what they want to achieve is they want to win Australian Group 1s because we are the little brother to Australian racing. And when we can go over there and send horses like we have throughout the decades to knock their races off, it is special. And Murray Baker's done that the most times. And this is his last season in training for the last couple of months. And he has found himself the second favourite for the derby after Regal Lion put on a breathtaking performance yesterday in the tank, uh, not the tank grid, and um, named Escape Me, someone will tell me on the text line. Uh, and it was incredible. Came from the second widest barrier. Just uh, Regal Lion's coming back from the derby trip in New Zealand, you've got to remember. So 2,400 metres back to 1850. 
and it's just found the line so strong, giving everybody the impression that it's ready to eat up the big Randwick mile and a half again, over 2,400 metres. On the quick back up this Saturday, I think it's into $6. Brennan Popwell from TAB will probably be able to tell us. I think it's $6 in futures, and it's going to be a red-hot chance. The favourite, Hitotsu, no one's going to say that's an easy easy horse to knock off, but Murray Baker and Andrew Forsman might have found themselves one last Group 1 in Australia to win in a partnership. It's an awesome story. I can't wait to preview it and follow it through the rest of this week, Rick. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Sounds good. Thanks very much for coming on, Louis. All good. Cheers, Louis Herman. What there with us and the Love Racing.nz update for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews, and more. Uh, time to talk uh, TAB now with uh, B Pops, Brennan Popplewell. G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ricardo. Yep, uh, pumped up as always, especially a little Tuesday Super Rugby, Black Caps. What more could we want for a Tuesday? Yeah, mate, exactly. There's plenty of sport on uh, today for a Tuesday. It's, uh, they're spoiling us, mate. They're spoiling us. Where do you want to start? Well, let's quickly start with the Blues. We've seen uh, a lot of money for them uh, on the minus 22.5 on the point start at uh, $700 at $1.90. One punter's laid down. One punter is loving the Tuesday sport. $1,000 multi, Blues to win into the Black Caps to win. We'll only return you about $144 for a grand, but that's a little Tuesday uh, entertainment for that punter. Uh, Stephen Petafeta to score a try, and the Blues to win by 11 to 30 is the most popular power play. Currently, all those power plays are up on tab.co.nz for the Blues um, Moana Pacifica match. And I'll quickly jump to the cricket. We've seen 2,500 on the Black Caps at $1.04. Uh, and the most backed power play is New Zealand to take three wickets in the first 10 overs at $7. It looks quite juicy. And we've also got support for Ross Taylor to score 100 runs or more. But if he scores a 50, you'll get your money refunded. That's currently at $5. Yeah, that is good, mate. That is good. I do like that. Of course, uh, Roscoe coming into his last three games uh, wearing the Black Caps shirt. Uh, it's yeah, it's going to be superb. If you, we don't have any games left uh, at McLean Park, do we? Otherwise, I'd ask if you've got a, uh, a, you know, a rain bet. Will the game go ahead or be washed out? <laughs> Stop it. There's two things you do in Hawke's Bay. If you decide to have a game of cricket or have a barbecue, very likely it's going to rain. Yeah, that seems to be the case, mate. It seems to be the case, B-Pops. Hey, good stuff, mate. Uh, you, where, where will you be watching from today? Uh, certainly from home. I'll be home tuned in. Looking forward to all the action. Good stuff. Brendan Popperwell there with us from the CAB. Thanks for joining us, B-Pops. Uh, watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. In the next hour, your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet uh, with Stumped by Ricardo and Dean Lonigan. We're going to be talking boxing with him real soon. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a couple of minutes past 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy is on uh, cricket duty with Sky Sport for the Cricket World Cup and the Black Caps against the Dutch as well. So you got Ricardo Ball in through until midday today and coming up this hour, your chance to play uh, Stumped by Ricardo. $50 TAB bonus bet on the line for you. Uh, but but before we get to that, uh, you're going to talk to our old mate uh, Dean Lonigan, boxing promoter, of course, uh, international man of mystery extraordinary. Here, Dino. G'day, how are you? Ricardo, how goes you? I, I wish I was an international man of mystery. It's just uh, what we do right now is bloody hard work here in Australia, but everything's going well. 
That's good, mate. That's good. And uh, a massive announcement, which has uh, just been made public as well, about a couple of the uh, big names in New Zealand boxing, guys that I think will become household names over the next couple of years, uh, heading over your part of the world, over to over to Australia to uh, uh, to mix it up with some Aussies, uh, Andrew Mikhailovich, Jerome Pamploni, uh, a couple of guys uh, you've obviously shoulder tapped and seen some uh, some potential there. Look, these guys are enormously talented. Andre Mikhailovich, I promise you, at 16 and 0, he is so close. Uh, we'll get him in the top 15 in the not too distant future in a couple of the organisations in the world. And uh, he's in the middleweight division. Now, there's exciting things happening there, Ricardo. I have two other middleweights here in Australia. I've got a co-promotional agreement on a guy called Michael Zarafa, who's a bit of a, uh, a villain over here in Australia. And I've got Isaac Hardman. Now, those two fight on uh, April 20 in Melbourne. The winner of that fight has been mandated by the IBF to go to number two in the world. Now, the current world champion, Genevieve Golovkin, is signed to fight Canelo Alvarez at super middleweight, which means he'll be moving up and has to vacate the world title. So one of those two boxes that uh, I have with me, Zarafa or Hardman, will be fighting for a vacant world title uh, against a guy that I know they can beat. And if that was to happen, Andre is right in the mix to be one of the first opponents if they were to win that middleweight world title. So uh, these things can move very, very quickly, and these are things that I've been working on. I'm my son Liam, we've been working on in Australia for a very long time, and uh, a very big plan is starting to come to fruition, and these guys are coming in at the right time. Jerome Pamplone, an extremely uh, very, very good light heavyweight, obviously different division to Andre, quite a couple of divisions up. But uh, he's coming over here to spar Jaya Bataille, and the significance of this is Jaya Bataille is signed to me, uh, DNL events, and he fights on May 11 for the world title, the cruiserweight world title on the Gold Coast. So uh, he's up against a guy called Marin Breedis, who's the number one cruiserweight in the world. So uh, Andre, uh, sorry, uh, Jerome, at a very you know, just into his career with us, is uh, is, is sparring the very very best. So uh, mate, very exciting times ahead. I can promise you that. Yeah, I mean Jerome getting to go over there at ten and zero in his career uh, to work with a guy like uh, Jai Opatia. I mean that's going to be massive for his development. When do you see him actually fighting over the ditch, mate? Have you got anything lined up just yet? Yeah, we have both Andre and Jerome fight over here on April thirteenth. Uh, Andre's up against a guy called King Davidson, and uh, Jerome's up against Lucas Miller. And fortunately, Jai, Lucas Miller's a, a southpaw, and it turns out so is Jai at the tyre, so his preparation couldn't be any better. So it's uh, big news for these boys. You know, Andre's fought over here before. He fought on the Paul Gallon undercard, and would you believe this? He fought a guy called Alex Hannon, who's a bit of a gangster. Alex Hannon thought it was smart to punch Andre before the fight started when they're just lining up with the referee. That went viral on social media and on two streams alone was viewed by 32 million people around the world. Wow. So uh, it's fair to say <coughs> Andre's made a great start to his career over here. The Australian media really like him. So, uh, you know, once we get this middleweight rivalry running between all three guys and we can jag the middleweight title and put that in the middle, it'll be, it, it will explode over here and obviously New Zealand. And, of course, Jerome at light heavyweight made this great opportunities in Australia for him as well. So they both fight on April 13, and I'll be talking to Sky. They're getting that fight on in the very near future. Yeah, and, of course, Andre's fighting, uh, you mentioned him, King Davidson, a guy who's a former world champion, right? Yeah, I think he, he had the uh, IBO world title, which is not one of the big four, but he certainly had a lot of regional belts. King has never been stopped. Uh, he's had 23 or 26 fights. He's only had three losses, but never been stopped. So this is a big deal for Andre, and uh, mate, he made a, a big splash on the Gallon Hooney undercard, so he needs to carry it on 
Now, the combat sports in New Zealand, whether you're talking boxing or MMA, seem to be going through the roof, mate. We seem to have uh, a real wealth of talent coming out of this country uh, in, in all forms of combat sports. Uh, what do you put that down to, Dino? I don't know, to be honest. Like New Zealanders, they're all a pretty hardy, resilient bunch, and they, they, they like physical contact sports. And I guess what's happened is through, uh, you know, with MMA, with the guys at City Kickboxing, they've just presented huge opportunities for their guys by being as good as they are, you know, with their coaching techniques. And so all of a sudden, guys are probably going, you know what, I've seen that UFC. There's a couple of Kiwis in that. I can actually do that as well. So you've got more and more people participating. And probably the same with the rise of Joseph Parker. You know, Joseph Parker won the heavyweight title of the world, which I don't think a Kiwi's done that for, if ever, uh, one born out of New Zealand. So... A remarkable effort by Joseph, and people are probably looking at that going, well, mate, if Joe could do it, I could do it. So the opportunities are probably there now that weren't there 10, 15 years ago. So, uh, mate, it's, it's good to see, and, and, and I don't see this slowing down. It's, no. it's certainly going through the roof here in Australia as well. Yeah, I mean, because there's, a, there's a, other, a few other Kiwis kicking around as well. You know, I look at Chucky Francis, um, who's the, the current cruiserweight champion over here. Uh, he looks like he needs, he needs you know, to fight offshore as well. To, to, you know, he's pretty much beaten everybody that he can beat here. Um, so there's plenty plenty coming through, mate. But also uh, really good coaches as well. And, and Isaac Peach is, is one of the best. He's a, he's a bloke who battled hard in the ring as a middleweight himself. And, and he's coaching both uh, Pamplone and... And Mikhailovich as well, and you, you've got him as part of the stable. Yeah, we're very, very lucky to have Isaac uh, as part of the stable. Him and his wife, Melina, uh, mate, they're a real great team. And they love their boxing. They met in a boxing gym, and they, I'm sure they, they've got three or four kids. They're going to be bloody raising boxes. But they have boxes come around and stay. And he's also, on the, uh, so Isaac's also coaching Kiki Latelli. And Kiki Latelli's quite significant because he's fighting uh, our heavyweight, Justice Hooney. On May 11, on the undercard to the uh, to the giant tire fight. So uh, Andre, sorry Isaac Peach, very very involved uh, in boxing with me, and uh, you know, with 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 our guys or against our guys. Yeah, Justice Hooney, tell us a little bit more about him. We've seen him on TV here a couple of times fight on some of these Australian cards, mate. Um, I mean, I know that you're his promoter, so you're going to talk him up, and that's cool. But you know, where does he sit, do you think, in, in, in sort of the world heavyweight picture at the moment? And how far does he have to go before we're talking about him in that top echelon? Well, no less than Timothy Bradley, who's a uh, fought Manny Pacquiao three times, a former world welterweight champion, put out a report on ESPN about the two fighters in each division you should watch. And he, he pulled out a cruiserweight division um, giant. The tire has been one to watch because he's just deadly and efficient with his punches and got a granite chin. He also pulled out uh, Justice Hooney as only one of two heavyweights, along with Jared Anderson, who's with Bob Arum. I think Justice Hooney uh, will go on to be the first Australian heavyweight champion of the world. I don't really count what happened with Lucas Brown and bloody the WBA in Chechnya, I think it was. But no, Justice Hooney has all the goods. You know, we uh, obviously oversaw the rise of Joseph Parker's career, and this boy is probably, in our opinion, more more talented at the same stage as Joe is. He, Currently, after five fights, he sits about 35 on box rec. He's the only Australian boxer in history to come out of the amateurs, fight a 10-round fight, and win the Australian national title. He uh, destroyed Paul Gallon with a uh, basically a busted knuckle uh, going back to June last year. You know, Gallon to be rampaging through everybody, and uh, Justice gave him a boxing lesson, and Paul made an enormous amount of money for that. Had a rematch clause, but had no interest in exercising it <laughs> simply because of the beating that he took. 
So uh, we've got a big year planned for Justice. I'd expect by the end of this year, I'd be very surprised if he's not the top 10. Once he's in the top 10 of the world, you know, he'll probably have nine or 10 fights under his belt, then we'll start to make some big moves. But the big thing over here is what you've got to do is you've got to get famous and you've got to make sure you can drive revenue through the gate and pay for new revenues. So we're focused on that, but uh, I can promise you we've got an amazing, probably the best stable, you know, in, in the Southern Hemisphere in Jaya Bataya fighting for world title. You know, uh, Isaac Hardman and Michael Zarafa fighting for the number two spot in the world. Then you've got Justice Hooney, who's, you know, 5-0 and un- unbeaten heavyweight. He's making massive splashes globally. And, of course, Andre uh, Mikhailovich and, and Jerome Campone added to the stable as well. And we're going to keep adding to that. So this is uh, it's an exciting ride to be on. I can promise you that, Ricardo. Yeah, mate. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, all the fights we're going to be uh, getting uh, on Justice Hooney. I know you've, you you haven't mentioned any names yet, but uh, I I kind of look at uh, a matchup that I'd like to see, and and maybe this isn't going to you know sort of bust down the barn doors in terms of being a cash grab. But I mean, him versus Junior Farah, I think would really uh, would be a great matchup, and would be the you know this is the next big heavyweight out of this part of the world. That's, that's actually a really good fight that we tried to make. You know, the junior junior's management, his promoters are quite good to deal with. The junior's management is just totally unreasonable. And uh, the, the fact that junior hasn't fought, what, since he fought Joseph Parker is a fair indication that the bloke running the Mark Adele's got no idea what he's doing. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have, we'd love to fight junior far, but they just make it too difficult. The amount of money that they wanted was, you know, ridiculous. We're prepared to pay it. But then they uh, kept throwing in stupid little things on the side, put this guy on the undercard, pay him this much, and it's like, mate, I'm not your promoter. Wake up for yourself. So it's fair to say we'd love to fight Junior Farr. I can't get happy because he's just stupid and what they are for prices. But if he, if we did fight him, it'd be a, a one-way destruction in the end Junior's career, which they may know it, and that's why they ask for so much money. Yeah, right. Okay, good to know, Dino. Now, uh, we have been talking today about your Mount Rushmore of fighters. So your four top favourite fighters that you would put on a Mount Rushmore, mate. I know you love your fight sports. Uh, one of my uh, abiding memories of boxing is, is you coming out at a fight for life with uh, with all the crew from Kaluzi uh, dancing with you to the Rocky Horror Picture Show theme. I'm sure you've got a few ideas, mate. Who, who would your four favourite ones be? Well, probably the top four, you know, like obviously the guys that I promote, I love them to death. So how about we have a senior Mount Rushmore and a junior Mount Rushmore? Sounds good. The junior Mount Rushmore, the five guys, and the six guys, obviously, we, yeah, I'd love to see, I've I got a lot of time for Joseph Parker, of course. Then, of course, Jeff Horn, who won the welterweight title of the world in front of 51,000 at, uh, at uh, promoted over here. Then, of course, the five guys I've currently got. So there's your junior Mount Rushmore. Uh, you seen him at Rushmore. I would probably go Muhammad Ali, yep. Joe Frazier, George Foreman, and probably uh, Roberto Durant. Those I love stone him. hands. Roberto Durant, the hands of stone. Would you believe this? I We brought Roberto Durant down for that Jeff Horn fight just to mix and mingle with the corporates. He's a hell of a funny guy. And, mate, loved red wine. And he got on the drink with a good mate of mine called Grant Churcher. And Church does love, does love a drink. And uh, it's fair to say that Roberta got so pissed he fell off a chair at one of the corporate tables in Churchill. That was the greatest thing of all time. So uh, <laughs> mate, a, a good bloke and a bit of humour. Oh, fantastic, Dino. Hey, mate, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time. I know you've got a busy day. I really appreciate it, mate. But best of luck to you in the Operation DNL uh, and getting Andrew and Jerome over to Australia. Looking forward to seeing those fights, mate. And any time you, ch- uh, you want to talk boxing, uh, we're here for you. All right, just one little point. It's Andre, not Andrew. Andre, Andre, Andre. Andre, Andre, Andre. You remember that.
I will, mate. Andre Mikhailovich. Good stuff, Dino. Thanks very much, mate. Go well. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Dean Lonigan, uh, of course, uh, part of D&L Events. Uh, yeah, taking those two Kiwi fighters, Jerome Pamplone and Andre Mikhailovich, over to Australia, both fighting uh, on April the 13th. And uh, we will hopefully see that here on Sky, according to Dino. Now, Logan, uh, what did you make of uh, Dean's uh, Mount Rushmore? I mean, the senior Mount Rushmore is very, very solid in terms of boxes. I don't know how you really go past that. I wanted to bring up a great text we got on the Temper Bedpost uh, text machine mm. from Tony. I'm surprised it took this long to come up, to be honest, because when I uh, was talking to Jamie Wall and lining up the panel last night, he brought this up as the first topic. Will Smith. Definitely has to go on the uh, fighters Mount Rushmore after his effort at the Oscars uh, to put Chris Rock back in his lane and uh, his portrayal of of the true goat Muhammad Ali. Ali, sorry. Yeah, I don't know about that one, Tony. To be to be fair, I, I think if you're the guy that's trained Will Smith to be Muhammad Ali and you watch that, you'd be like, "Oh, that's not how I taught you, mate. What are you doing?" To me, it, it looked was nothing. It looked like a wrestling punch. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it didn't really connect. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, let's just say that Ali would probably be rolling in his grave if he thought that that was, uh, uh, that was up there. But anyway, that uh, keep them coming through. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Uh, that is the Temper Bed Post text machine. Uh, keen to get some more uh, names and faces on our Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, 22 past 11 here on SENZ. Uh, Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith through all midday today. Uh, you can follow uh, at SENZ underscore radio on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and send us a DM with the words The Race for the chance to win a half percent share in Self Assured. If Self Assured wins the race at Cambridge Raceway on April 14, one lucky, lucky winner will walk away with a half percent of the winnings from the race, which is around about two grand, I reckon, uh, for, as, as, from what I've been told. Now, we're getting a a lot of love on our uh, Mount Rushmore of favourite fighters, um, and uh, we will we'll get to that shortly. Logan and I will give you ours. I know Christopher Reeve, who writes a lot of the uh, combat sports for the Herald, is commenting on it already as well. But uh, let's have a look at some uh, stories, uh, Logan, from around the world of the world of sport that maybe we haven't had a chance to get to just yet. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, I've been talking to Chris Reeve and he thinks uh, for real or fictional uh, it's too broad and I'm like hey that's the fun of it that's what it's all about so get your uh, thoughts in there to the Temper Bedpost text machine uh, we'll read them out later uh, but yeah there's some really awesome things going around in the world of sport one uh, probably a bit close to you there's your love of football mm. uh, of course we've been looking at the All Whites I, I gotta play this this was so awesome yesterday this is Canada making history uh, and qualifying for the FIFA World Cup for the first time since 1986. My birth year was that, 36 years ago? It's a long time. Now, you talk about absolute scenes there. That was BMO Field there in Toronto, which, I mean, soccer, football is really taking off there with the success of Toronto FC as well. Uh, 
But my worry there, Ricardo, is how strong CONCACAF is looking when we think about the All-Whites and who they might face if mm. they beat the Solomon Islands. Uh, Costa Rica is right up there. They are, yeah. I mean, Costa Rica uh, will finish f- uh, fourth. It's been um, confirmed, and that is the team that the winner of Oceania will play out a one-off game to make the final, or to make the World Cup finals, as it were. Uh, and that team uh, looks looks pretty handy. I mean, the Canadian team is is. Um, uh, is really off the hook. I mean, you consider they've got uh, Alfonso Davies of Bayern Munich and Jonathan David, who plays at Lille there um, in France, who are the defending French champions. I mean, they've got a couple of uh, fantastic players uh, and a pretty solid squad of MLS players around around that. So they're going to be tough. Costa Rica as well, uh, not as good, but they've got guys, you know, like Brian Ruiz played, uh, I think, for Everton and for Fulham in the Premier League. Uh, he's the captain of that Costa Rican team. Uh, they really do have um, some very, very good players. And I think uh, it's going to be tough for the All-Whites. But then, you know, that said, this is probably the best All-Whites team on paper that we've had in terms of what leagues guys are are playing in and things. Uh, And it is going to be one-off, and it's going to be neutral territory. So that, I think, probably goes in our favour a bit, to be fair. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's still not going to be easy. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And, you know, the other thing I think, uh, I don't know if it's been mentioned, but um, John Herdman, who coaches the Canadian men's team, he used to be the football ferns coach. Um, you know, so he was an Englishman, came down here, coached the football ferns, did that for a few years, then went and coached the Canadian women's team to a lot of success, and then picked up the men's job, and now he's got them to their first World Cup since 1986. It's massive. Yeah, and look, I love success stories. And spe- speaking of football, but a completely different type, the Aussie rules type, we we uh, had a bit of chat about this a couple of weeks ago last time. You're on the morning's show with SCNZ here, Ricardo. Buddy Franklin kicked his 1,000th AFL goal uh, over the weekend. Don't know if you've seen it. That was absolute scenes at the SCG as well. Uh, I think it's kind of customary when that happens because it doesn't happen very often at all. And there's speculation that may potentially never happen again. Who knows? It's one of those things. Uh, fans just swarm the field and it took like 30 minutes to reset. The best bit is, though, is someone actually picked up the ball and he ran off with it. And he went, he, went, he went home, grabbed a taxi, went home, and then went to the pub to celebrate with his mates, got so nervous that someone was going to break into his house, because apparently this ball was valued at like 200000 on the open market if, wow. it, if it went to auction. He got so nervous, he went back home, and he slept with it. <laughs> uh, but he has since uh, returned the ball back to uh, Buddy Franklin, which it's, it's, it's a nice story, but... I just love the idea of someone sleeping with a freaking ball at night. <laughs> I, I like I like the fact that he grabbed the ball and then went, you know what, this is the right thing to do. And then he got looked after as well, didn't he? Because they gave him a whole bunch of stuff. What was his name? Alex Wheeler? Um, I think he got like a Swans jersey and a football signed by Franklin and a pair of Franklin's boots. And they gave him a couple of five-year memberships to the club as well. So they, they really looked after him. Yeah, you love to see it. And then another type of football here for our last one, the American kind. Uh, NFL, there's there's rumours that they are looking at making changes uh, to their overtime rules. Uh, Of course, at the moment, current rule rule allows the team to win on first position if they score a touchdown. It has to be a touchdown. can't be a field goal. Uh, I guess they probably see that as a bit of an easy way out. The Colts and Eagles are proposing that each team has a chance to possess the ball in overtime. Uh, the Titans are proposing the team to p- possess the ball first can win if they score a touchdown 
and a two-point conversion, which sort of adds mm. another level of skill there. It's, it has to take 24 votes from all the owners to pass, and there's 32 teams. And uh, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin's an advocate for this sudden death overtime. This is what he had to say on ESPN. To be quite honest with you, I'm a sudden death advocate. I'm a traditionalist. I don't fear sudden death, and I never have. Uh, but obviously, I lost that battle a decade ago. <laughs> but my position remains unchanged. <laughs> I am one of the few sudden death advocates, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I love sudden death in sports. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's what it's all about, isn't it? It's it, it comes down to that, you know. Win I mean, or it, go home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you back your D to win the ball back if you don't have position, take it back, and then and, and then win the game that way. So yeah, it's uh, interesting that those changes are proposed. I mean, one thing I think that the NFL could do without is more rules. To be honest, because uh, it is quite convoluted at times, and and the way that the uh, the game is uh, is refereed. Maybe they need Peter Valandis to come in and speed up the game like he did with the NRL. I've heard worse ideas, mate. You say what you like about Peter Valandis, but he's been great for the NRL. I think I think he's been he has been uh, a forward thinking CEO of of the NRL, and they haven't had one of those for a while. So uh, yeah, I mean, I know he's not necessarily the most popular bloke in Australia. Uh, but uh, you know, I think he he's offered a lot to the NRL, and it's uh, really grown the sport uh, so far. Now, uh, if you want to win a fifty dollar TAB voucher, we've got stumped by Ricardo coming up after uh, news and sport with Araha Hathaway. So give us a call 0800 0800-150-811, 0800-150-811 to play stumped by Ricardo. A fifty dollar TAB voucher and some slip drops could be all of yours. Also, between now and twelve, we're going to catch up with staff, and we're going to give you our Mount Rushmore of fighters as well. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right. My favourite time of the show. It is Stumped by Smithy, except it's not Smithy today. He's uh, off on World Cup duties. We have in the hot seat there, keeping it nice and warm, keeping those gloves warm. Is Ricardo Ball? It's been a while, mate. Are you yes. warmed up? Are you ready to go? Oh yeah, mate. The knees are knees are feeling it. Knees are feeling it, but it's all right. I'll be okay. You still? Yeah, you're not feeling shaky after a big weekend on Waiheke Island, are you? No, mate. No, no, not that. We had my daughter with us, so we couldn't get too shaky. Okay, good yeah. to know. Good to know. All right, up for grabs today is fifty dollars worth of TAB bonus bets plus some sleep drops. Daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Sleepdrops.com. Co.nz. That's where you could win. And joining us at the crease is Gareth from Christchurch. Come in, mate. How are you? Hey guys, you got? Yeah, doing good. Hey, you feeling you feeling lucky today? Oh, I've had one one success as uh, stumped by Smithy once, and, and everything else I failed at. So we'll see how we go. Well, <laughs> all right. You could be due. You could be due for a win. That had overtures of. You feeling lucky, punk? <laughs> hey, so you're telling me there's a chance? Okay, all right. So for any new listeners of the show and of the game, this is how it works. We have three sporting categories to choose from today. Answer all three questions correctly, then you can win it all. But if you get a question wrong, it's over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within the first two questions, then it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot tomorrow. Now, Gareth, today's topics are cricket ice hockey, and to keep with our theme, UFC. Take your pick. Uh, I'll go with cricket. All right, cricket. Cue the music. Let's go. 
We'll start with some uh, Black Caps questions here for you, Gareth. New Zealand last played the Netherlands in an ODI back in the 96 World Cup. Which Kiwi cricketing great got his one and only international wicket in that game? Ooh. Did you say 96? Yes. Um, and it's a wee way back. I'll go for... Oh, maybe... Oh, no, I'm guessing it's going to be someone obscure. Maybe, maybe. No, I'm not sure. I'll just go with someone like Chris Harris. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You were going to go for obscure, and you went for Chris Harris. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was thinking. I was going to go someone a bit more left field, but I thought, um, yeah, I just I panicked. Yeah. No, that, that's what pressure will do to you, mate. Ricardo, over to you. Can you handle the pressure? Like, well, I'm just looking. Um, just thinking because we had a lot of all rounders then who did bowl a lot, so I'm thinking it takes a lot of guys like Astle and people like that out. So it has to be somebody who was a batsman, own out and out batsman, um, who maybe got a, an over or two in this game. So I'm going to go with Stephen Fleming. That's not couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Your your logic served you well there, Ricardo. Sorry, Gareth, you have been stumped on the line. We have Dave from Cambridge coming, mate. Well, good boy. Good, mate. Yeah. yeah. Are you ready to go? Uh, not really, but we'll give it a go. All right. Now, topic is cricket. Uh, in the Women's Cricket World Cup, currently underway in New Zealand, who currently has the highest score of the tournament? Oh, geez. Um, give me a clue and tell me which country she's from. Oh, do I, do I give a clue, Ricardo? Is this phone well, a friend? Actually, to, to be fair, I wasn't sure if you meant which nation had the highest score or which player had the which highest score. Which player? Right, okay. Uh, yeah, I think I think phone a friend's probably fair enough. Okay, I'll, I'll say it's an Australian. An Australian? That doesn't help me either. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the Australian women, so... It's that, uh, that girl that probably scored 100. Um... No, I wouldn't know, boys. I couldn't even name a uh, Aussie cricketer. Um, I'll go. Actually, didn't it? Um, Nick Lanning. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right no in the way. Side, <laughs> under way it goes. Yes, way. I was Dave. about to say, Dave, you managed to um and ah enough way through that for Google to get working. <laughs> nah, uh, you would have got that way. One of my mates has just turned up at work here and he knew the answer. Ah, oh, there's a, there's the phone a friend for you. I love it. All right, mate. Yep. Last question. <laughs> Sticking with the Women's Cricket World Cup, who was the leading wicket taker for the White Ferns? Um, I'm trying to think of her name. I think I know it. Uh, You've already used your phone a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Really? <laughs> Um, I'm gonna go. Oh no, she's a she's a buddy. Better. That's not gonna help me. Um, I'll go. Uh, I don't know. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> I love I love your process, Dave, and and your logic and trying to figure it out on on the air who it is. But no, it is not Susie Bates, Ricardo. I, is this stumping on the line here? Yeah, I think well, she got a five for in the last game, so I'm gonna go with Hannah Rowe. One of the worst oh, things I have oh, ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. 
No. Ooh. Hannah Rowe is a great guest. She she had an amazing tournament. Yeah. Uh, it's actually Leah Tahuhu with 10 all up. Nice, yeah. So Dave, mate, the last couple great, injured, great day for you. Yeah, hey, hold no the problem, line. No problem, Dave. I'll, 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 you know, I'm open to bribery and corruption. Just I'll throw it for you any time. <laughs> uh, well, my mate sitting here next to me is sitting. He, he's going to put it. We've got to take a multi, and he's going to chuck a leg in. So, yeah. oh, nice. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Hope it comes in, and you can fill each other's beer fridges. Ah, uh, well, I'm definitely for mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice, mate. Hold the line, and uh, Brian will get your details. Congratulations, Dave. Cheers, man. Thank you. No worries, oh, mate. That was uh, that was yeah. I did think Leah to who, but then I went, oh, she's Hannah got that five in the last game, and Leah missed a couple of games of that injury. Yeah, oh, I mean, it was a good guess. Uh, I've like I said, I've been really impressed with how Hannah Rowe was in this tournament, and then I mean, for the amount of flack that I guess Leah to who has gotten in the media during this tournament, she still led the way with the amount of wickets there. Yeah, and I don't, I mean. They tried to turn her into a pinch hitter, but I just think they put her in the, at the wrong times. At times, they, you know, like um, against Australia for one, I think they put her in too early um, when they needed somebody that could just accumulate. And um, yeah, you know, those pinch hitters, she should be coming in with ten overs to go and give her a, give her a blast, not coming in with twenty overs to go or, or whatever it was when they when they threw her in that time. So um, yeah, I think that's a bit harsh because she's definitely definitely did her job with the ball. No, I, yeah, I think so too. I guess we'll see what comes of. The review. But hey, <laughs> congratulations, Dave. That's awesome. And I love that you're going to share your win there with your mate who really came in clutch for you at work. I think he's gone. Dave's gone. Yeah, that's oh, fine. That's fine. That's fine. Dave's, Dave, Dave's off celebrating. He's got his he's got his shirt off. He's around his head like this, and he's you know windmilling it, and he's running around the workplace. That's what he's doing. <laughs> that's what he's doing. I'm sure there's plenty of great pubs in Cambridge. Yeah, well, guaranteed, guaranteed to be plenty of uh, good pubs in Cambridge, and uh, definitely plenty of uh, punting advice too. I'd imagine because uh, a lot of trainers, a lot of owners around there. Oh yeah, very very rich culture there in Cambridge. I love that little town. I know we uh, last week I mentioned uh, Hamilton is the city of the future. That that famous tagline, but Cambridge is Cambridge is really on the up, isn't it? I, I love passing through there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's the thing. You love to pass through Cambridge, uh, through Hamilton, but you stop in Cambridge. That's the difference. That's the difference right there. Uh, it is before I get myself in any more trouble. It is twenty to twelve. When we come back, our Mount Rushmore fighters. We're going to reveal them. Uh, Logan and myself right here on Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. <laughs> Yeah, this is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy while he's on uh, cricket duty with Sky. It's uh, quarter to midday, and uh, we've been talking all day, all morning about our Mount Rushmore of fighters, Logan. Um, and you've put in a couple of uh, a couple of rules. Well, not rules, but uh, you've broadened it out so they, they don't have to be actual fighters. They could be, you know, fictional characters. They could be wrestlers, they could be actors uh, things, I, I didn't go that route I went pretty straight but uh, yours is more than interesting shall we say <laughs> More than interesting, I guess mine was a little more left field uh, I already put the spoiler out there on Twitter that one of mine was actually a video game character, the iconic Mortal Kombat, there's so many to choose from but I had to go with Scorpion purely for his famous line Get over here 
Oh, I got to do that again one more time. Get over here! <laughs> and he just flings the like spear out of his hands and pulls you back in and just beats the crap out of you. Iconic. Yeah, I mean, Mortal Kombat, obviously very controversial video game, but has a lot of fans here in New Zealand and around the world. So he's my first on the Mount Rushmore. Okay, it's interesting you've gone with the video game uh, Mortal Kombat uh, and not the movie version. Um, and mind you, there's probably been about three iterations of each, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, And the rest. All right, oh, we'll go my first one then. Um, and I, I think this is a lay down Mazir. It should be in everybody's top four because uh, he really – changed boxing when he came onto the scene, and uh, that is Iron Mike Tyson. That guy was just a knockout highlights reel. Lennox, I'm coming for you. Mike, is it frustrating to train like you did and then have no, this I, in I seven or eight seconds? For this fight. I only trained probably two weeks or three weeks for this fight. I had to bury my best friend, and I dedicated this fight. I wasn't going to fight. I dedicated this fight to him. I was going to rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lynx is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the great Mike Tyson. I love, there's another great quote from Mike Tyson, which was, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, I think is, uh, is iconic. I use that a lot in everyday life. <laughs> that is a good one to live by. Uh, and I mean, I was kind of thinking when coming up with this Mount Rushmore, I was like, all right, yes, favorite fighters. Who's going to have your back? And not to say I get into bar fights. If you knew me, I definitely don't. Um, I'm not even really much of a drinker myself. But when I was thinking of a fighter who might have my back, was if I was boys with Conor McGregor. And, I mean, when it comes to trash talking, he is just one of the best. My question was clearly, you've only been to the fifth round twice in your professional career and lost one of them. You're complaining that he has no gas. His no question is, what are you talking, talking about? That's his question. How the f*** talking? Say it like it is, you're blessed. You're blessed that I chose you. You're blessed that I chose to whoop your ass next. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt the accent myself. Uh, yes, a few beeps there. Uh, I would say, though, that his mouth would get you into more bar fights than his fists will get you out of. Potentially, yes, but he would still be there for both. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I was going to pick someone to have my back in a bar fight and we we're using the same stipulation, I'd go with Dave Batista. Oh, okay. Six foot eight. 320 pounds, he'd, he'd have you back in a bar fight. Yeah, I'm also not going to mess with the Guardians of the Galaxy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, I, I like the Conor McGregor. I, I did um and ah over him, but in the end, I thought, well, if I'm going to have um, uh, you know, some uh, UFC fighters in there, then I'm going to go with uh, George St. Pierre, who's just done it on every level, every time, came back and did it again, became a champion again. That guy... Was just the future. He molded the future of mixed martial arts. Not quite yet. And it's all over. It is all over. George Rush St. Pierre defeats Mad Hughes again. He beat everyone they put in his way and then went back and beat them again. Yeah, that guy was just a superb athlete, and he came back at, was it 44, fought and won again in the UFC as well. So, yeah, fantastic fighter. One thing I've really enjoyed about this is going back and uh, watching like highlights and stuff. Uh, one that I couldn't get, uh, who's next on my list, is actually Gordie Howe, one of, one of the greatest uh, all-time players, in, right? in ice hockey. Yeah. yeah. 
and coined the phrase the Gordie Howe hat trick. Now, that is a goal, an assist, and a fight in the same game. <laughs> so, the fact that you have something like that named after you, yeah. I had to put him on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That is good. Now, while we're on UFC fighters, uh, I've got to go to Ronda Rousey. Um, she changed. The, she was the biggest star in the sport. You know, you talk about uh, having equality in sport. Well, I mean, you know, Ronda Rousey. She really, she was the flagship. She was the face of the UFC for so long, and she was so dominant as well. Uh, Ronda Rousey. I just, uh, yeah, I don't think you can go past her. She changed that sport for women, and now in the UFC, women and men are on equal footing in terms of pay, in terms of opportunities as well. And uh, yeah, just an ab- outstanding fighter, outstanding athlete, really well driven. Um, did it at amateur level in judo, transition into UFC, and now is in the WWE. So she, she can do anything. And that ties in really nicely to my last one. Uh, we had a bit of wrestling chat there from uh, Brad Lewis when we had the panel. I have to go with Y2J. Welcome to Raw is Jericho! you to take out your cell phones, text your friends, take a picture, shoot a video, send an email, call them all and tell them that the sexy beast is back, baby! I just... I've, I've fallen out of wrestling, but I was big on wrestling, uh, Ricardo, back in the mid-2000s and watching him do the walls of Jericho and just the music and everything when the countdown came on. He had the code breaker. Uh, as far as wrestlers go, I just had... I, I just really enjoyed watching him, so I feel like he has to be in my Mount Rushmore of fighters. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's all about your favourite fighters, right? It's all about your favourite fighters. And I, I think as we finish this off, you cannot say who your Mount Rushmore of fighters would be without having the name Muhammad Ali at the top of your list. Everybody stop talking now, attention. I told you, all of my critics, I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. When I beat Sonny Liston, I told you today, I'm still the greatest of all time. Never again defeat me. Never again say that I'm going to be defeated. Never again make me the underdog until I'm about 50 years old. Then you might get me. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.